I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Moore and I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Hello in Hughes. Hello. Uh, we've got rid of Callum for this week. He, he, didn't, he, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't want to come back after the uh, the last... Oh no, but he, I, I believe he enjoyed himself immensely and... Uh, well, he's been added to the roster of uh, people who are going to cover for me when I in, go off on in, my well, like a, a Never mind the Buzzcock style after Mark Lamar and Simon Amstel binned it off. Uh, yeah, oh, no, I was thinking more like, um, have I got news for you after their guy had to resign but, due to drug and hooker shame. Yeah, but we're, we're, not, that's... <laughs> we're, not, we're, we're not we're not as highbrow as have I got for news. <laughs> no, no, that's true. No, that's very true. So, yeah, let's go. Let's we're, go we're, with... We're def- actually, we're more like loose women, aren't we're, we, Lesbia? It's like when they get different loose women. No, we're, we're, we're better than loose women. We're, we're, in terms of panel shows, we are, we are more, um, they think it's all over than, you know, Okay. Yeah, we're we're not. I'll take that. I'll be I'll be Linux. They never then. they I'll, never did I'll a be... film one, did they? You've had a music one and a sport one and a news one, and and, and oh. other things like would I lie to you and they out of ten cats. Apart from a um, week, but you've never really had a you've never really had a film one. Probably problems getting the rights or something. I don't know. Um, Philip Schofield and John Barrowman used to do the movie game on uh CBBC, um, which was quite that. So John Barrowman's got a weird career, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, 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 like he's Doctor Who. Like he, he, he first we first hear of him in Doctor Who, and then he pops up like in kind of big roles in some big American shows like Desperate Housewives and yeah. and uh, Arrow, and then he and yeah. then he pops up in was it Zero Dark Thirty? Zero Dark Thirty, yeah. that which, yeah, which it, blew my mind. The entire British audience yeah. just went, what? yeah, fuck off. <laughs> and then, but it's gonna do a song. But, but then, <laughs> like this month, he was doing some pre-crust dog trick thing on channel four Bless so he, he just he, do you know what i think he just loves to work i think he, I think just he loves to way. be in front of a camera that's all yeah. it is yeah yeah anyway uh i never expected i was that never expected if i was good looking i'd, I'd try and do the same exactly. yeah. never expected to be talking about john barrowman uh not this early no. uh anyway uh no news this week but we replaced that with john barrowman corner <laughs> <laughs> a new regular yes. feature straight straight into the quiz and I believe we've got some quiz news. Have we? Uh, yes, I believe that when it's back to me versus Owen, the prize on offer is naming rights on your new child. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's terrifying. I'm already, I'm already, it's already a hard sell trying to um, kind of get the entire Leicester City uh, names in at the moment. As you're going, kind of you're going for the current squad and not, the, and not the one that won the League Cup a while ago. 
Uh, yeah, no, no, it's not going to be Muzzy. I'm not going for, <laughs> for Muzzy Diamond. Or Emil. Or Emil, no, exactly. Uh, Nigel. I, I, I like Nigel. I don't, I don't like Nigel at all, but uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, no, that's an interesting shit. All right, I, um, I better just never yeah. ever lose again. Run, run that, <laughs> run that by Kate and see. Yeah, what she well, says. I'm sure she'll have no problem no. with that. Uh, anyway, Owen's, Owen's, uh, no, <laughs> yeah, is Owen's one nil up? No, I'm, I'm one nil up after Owen's bitter up. accusations of uh, cheating last time, where Steve revealed his true colours. Mm. That's all I'm going to say about it. a bad it. loser. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah waiting uh yeah hands away from keyboard and everything basically i'll I'll warn you now i have got um the rashomon uh web uh imdb page up in front of me so as long as he's not in rashomon or she i better change it no yeah (laughs) go give steve a chance no offense steve (laughs) well um then yeah i think you're fine okay good well i'll make a start then i'll do the first one 1979 Gives you quite a lot to choose from. I think Quadrophenia. Okay. Steve. Yeah. Uh, Ray Winston wasn't in it, was he? I'm going to go Ray Winston anyway. You've won. Yes. Unbelievable. Cheat. It was was either Ray Winston or Phil Daniels, and Phil Daniels has been in that in EastEnders, so. (laughs) And and a Park Life video. Yeah. Oh, well played, Steve. Yeah, very good. I don't think we've had anyone win it on the first film before, have we? Um, Steve. All right. <laughs> so, Punch your neck in, son. I think I won on one of them, but I can't remember who. Yeah, I think Owen did get it on the first one once, actually. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm guessing. It, was, uh, it just... was Pierce Brosnan, wasn't it? Because you said yes. Paul Man, and I went Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. true. Well, no, no one can get it before the first film, so... <laughs> uh, anyway, I've tried it a few times with Fastbender, yeah. but it's never been Fastbender. No. One day it will one be. Day, one day. So, uh, quiz over. No news. Uh, so, straight on to what we've been watching. And James, why don't you... No, you haven't seen anything, have you? This is going terribly. I have. You have, I have seen... You have now. Yeah. Right. I saw some yeah. last night. Go. Shall I start yeah. then? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then do some editing. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I won't. Um, so, I actually finally started getting on with my... Um, around the world in 80 films project uh, last night, uh, late late one last night, and after seeing a few at Glasgow Film Festival um, of new ones, I thought, you know what, it's about time I went for a classic one. And when I was chatting to Owen about the challenge before, you know, when I was coming up with it, Owen suggested I should try where possible to watch kind of, you know, classic films or films that are, you know, really represent that country. Um, so I, I've added Japan to my my list now I've, I've taken a big long flight over to Japan and I've added one of the the ultimate uh, Japanese films it's uh, one of Akira Kurosawa's earlier films and I mentioned it just now it's uh, Rashomon from 1950 um, which again I, I knew this film purely from the pop culture references for it essentially um, it was uh, what's great is I've got this little collector's edition dvd of it that i picked up in a charity shop and it starts off with um uh a joke from the simpsons where martin says uh to homer uh oh, something along the lines of um let's watch rashomon uh you really enjoyed that and homer says that's not how i remember it <laughs> and it's just this you know it's this idea that um 
it's based on a i think it's a 1917 collection of stories kind of early 20th century collection of short stories um it's actually based on two short stories um the setting is from one called rashomon and the the plot and narrative of this one is taken from another one uh which i can't remember the name of at the moment but um the setup is that uh a couple of guys are sheltering from the rain uh, one is a woodcutter, one is a priest, and then a, a commoner comes and joins them, and they start talking about this um, the, this most terrible story that they've seen that has caused them to lose all faith in humanity. And the the commoner who's there says, "Come on, then tell me." And it turns out that one of these guys, the woodcutter, was the witness in a court case of a murder and a rape. And what you then see over the next 90 minutes or so is uh, the story told from four different uh, perspectives, um, which in itself is quite an influential film. I, I'm not aware of any films that did something like this before Rashomon, certainly none which had that kind of lasting legacy. And Rashomon itself is credited as the first film that uh, encouraged the Oscars to create the Best Foreign Picture mm. uh, Oscar, because uh, this was one of the first films ever nominated. <laughs> Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Moore and I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Hello and Hughes. Hello. Uh, we've got rid of Callum for this week. He, he, didn't, he, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't want to come back after the, uh, the last... Oh no, but he, I, I believe he enjoyed himself immensely and... Uh, well, he's been added to the roster of uh, people who are going to cover for me when I in, go off on in, my well, like a, a, Never mind the Buzzcock style after Martin Lamar and Simon Amstel binned it off. Uh, yeah, oh, no, I was thinking more like, um, have I got news for you after their guy had to resign but, due to drug and hooker shame. Yeah, but we're, we're, that's... We're, not, we're, we're, not, we're not as highbrow as have I got for news. <laughs> no, no, that's true. Yeah. No, that's very true. So, yeah, let's go. We're, let's we're, go with... Def- Actually, we're more like loose women, aren't we, Lesbia? It's like when they get different loose women. No, we're, we're, we're better than loose women. We're, we're, in terms of panel shows, we are, we are more, um, they think it's all over than, you know, Okay. Yeah, we're we're not. I'll take that. I'll be I'll be Linux. They never they I'll, never did I'll a be... film one, did they? You've had a music one and a sport one and a news one, and and, and other things like would I lie to you and they out of ten cats. Apart from a um, week, but you've never really had a you've never really had a film one. Probably problems getting the rights or something. I don't know. Um, Philip Schofield and John Barrowman used to do the movie game on uh CBBC, which um, was quite. That's so... John Barrowman's got a weird career, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, like, like he's Doctor Who. Like he, he, he first we first hear of him in Doctor Who, and then he pops up like in kind of big roles in some big American shows like Desperate Housewives and yeah. and uh, Arrow, and then he and yeah. then he pops up in was it Zero Dark Thirty? Zero Dark Thirty, yeah. that which, yeah, went, which blew my mind. The entire British audience yeah. just went, what? yeah, fuck off. <laughs> and then, but it's gonna do a song. But, but then, <laughs> like this month, he was doing some pre-crust dog trick thing on channel four so he, he just he, do you know what i think he just loves to work i think he, <laughs> I think he just loves to be way. in front of a camera that's all yeah. it is 
Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I never expected. If I was that. Never expected. If I was good looking, I'd, I'd try and do the same. Exactly. Yeah. Never expected to be talking about John Barrowman. Uh, Not this early. No. Uh, anyway, uh, no news this week, but we replaced that with John Barrowman corner. <laughs> <laughs> A new regular yes. feature. Straight straight into the quiz, and I believe we've got some quiz news. Have we? Uh, yes, I believe that when it's back to me versus Owen, the prize on offer is naming rights on your new child. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's terrifying. I'm already, I'm already, it's already a hard sell trying to um, kind of get the entire Leicester City uh, names in at the moment. As You're going, going for the current squad and not, and not the one that won the League Cup a while ago. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's not going to be Muzzy. I'm not going for, <laughs> for Muzzy Diamond. Or Emil. <laughs> or Emil, no, exactly. Uh, Nigel. I, I, I like Nigel. I don't, I don't like Nigel at all, but uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, that's an interesting shit. All right, I, um, I better just never, yeah. ever lose again. Run, run, that, <laughs> run that by Kate and see yeah, what she well, says. I'm sure she'll have no problem no. with that. Uh, anyway, Owen's, Owen's uh, no, <laughs> yeah, is Owen's 1-0 up? No, I'm one up after Amen. bitter accusations of uh, cheating last time, where Steve revealed his true colours. Mm. That's all I'm going to say about it. a bad it. loser. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, waiting. Uh, you know, ha- hands away from keyboard and everything. Basically, I'll, I'll warn you now, I have got um, the Rashomon uh, web, uh, IMDb page up in front of me. So as long as he's not in Rashomon oh, oh, or oh, she... Oh, oh, I better change it. No. Yeah. <laughs> Could give Steve a chance. No offense, Steve. <laughs> well, um, then, yeah, I think you're fine. Okay, good. Well, I'll make a start then. I'll do the first yeah. one. 1979 gives you quite a lot to choose from. I think Quadrophenia. Okay. Steve. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Ray Winston wasn't in it, was he? I'm going to go Ray Winston anyway. You've won. Yes. Unbelievable. Well, it, Cheat. Well, it, it was it was either Ray Winston or Phil Daniels, and Phil Daniels has I'm been in that in EastEnders, so <laughs> and, and a Park Life video. Yeah. Oh, well played, Steve. Yeah, very good. Yeah. I don't think we've had anyone win it on the first film before, have we? Um, Come on, Steve. All right. <laughs> so, aren't you naked? So I think I won on one of them, but I can't remember who. Yeah, I think Owen did get it on the first one once, actually. Yeah. Well, I'm guess. It was, uh, it was Pierce Brosnan, wasn't it? Because you said yes. Paul Merman, and I went Pierce. Brosnan. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. true. Well, no, no one can get it before the first film, so. <laughs> uh, anyway, I tried a few times with Fassbender, yeah. but it's never been Fassbender. No. One day it will. One be. day. One day. So, uh, quiz over. No news. Uh, so straight on to what we've been watching and James why don't you no you haven't seen anything have you this is going terribly I have you have, I now. have, you have now yeah right I saw some yeah. last night go shall I start yeah. then yeah <laughs> yeah and then do some editing yeah <laughs> again I won't um so I actually finally started getting on with my um around the world native films project uh, last night, uh, late late one last night, and after seeing a few at Glasgow Film Festival um, of new ones, I thought, you know what, it's about time I went for a classic one. And when I was chatting to Owen about the challenge before, you know, when I was coming up with it, Owen suggested I should try where possible to watch kind of, you know, classic films or films that are, you know, really represent that country. Um, so I, I've added Japan 
to my my list now. I've, I've taken a big long flight over to Japan, and I've added one of the the ultimate uh, Japanese films. It's uh, one of Akira Kurosawa's earlier films, and I mentioned it just now. It's uh, Rashomon from 1950, um, which again I I knew this film purely from the pop culture references for it. Essentially, um, it was. Uh, what's great is I've got this little collector's edition dvd of it that i picked up in a charity shop and it starts off with um uh a joke from the simpsons where martin says uh to homer uh something along the lines of um let's watch rashomon uh you really enjoyed that and homer says that's not how i remember it (laughs) and it's just this you know it's this idea that um it's based on a, I think it's a 1917 collection of stories, kind of early 20th century collection of short stories. Um, it's actually based on two short stories. Um, the setting is from one called Rashomon, and the the plot and the narrative of this one is taken from another one, uh, which I can't remember the name of at the moment. But um, the setup is that uh, a couple of guys are sheltering from the rain. Uh, one is a woodcutter, one is a priest, and then a, a commoner comes and joins them, and they start talking about this um, the, this most terrible story that they've seen that has caused them to lose all faith in humanity. And the the commoner who's there says, "Come on, then tell me." And it turns out that one of these guys, the woodcutter, was the witness in a court case of a murder and a rape. And what you then see over the next 90 minutes or so is uh, the story told from four different uh, perspectives, um, which in itself is quite an influential film. I'm not aware of any films that did something like this before Rashomon, certainly none which had that kind of lasting legacy. And Rashomon itself is credited as the first film that uh, encouraged the Oscars to create the Best Foreign Picture Mm. uh, Oscar, uh, because this was one of the first films ever nominated for it, because it did do so brilliantly overseas weirdly enough in japan did nothing it was a it was a absolute flop on its release in japan and a lot of the criticisms were it was actually too western a film despite the fact it's set in uh 12th century feudal japan and it's about a a samurai um but it was seen as a, a western film so what i will say about it is parts of it do feel a little bit dated mm-hmm um and yeah obviously it's a film made in the 1950s obviously some parts feel dated but I watched uh, Yojimbo uh, about this time last year, and that just felt quite timeless. Seven Samurai is a timeless film, in my opinion. You can tell that this is a director not necessarily learning his craft, but certainly hasn't quite become the director he would prove to be. Um, And in some way, it's a little bit like watching some of the early Kubrick films, uh, like The Killing. or even to a smaller extent, Paths of Glory, which is an incredible film, but still, um, I think that's power is in its story rather than its direction. I think Rashomon's power is in its story and the way it's told rather than necessarily the direction. Some of the acting is a little bit hammy at times. There's some ridiculous, uh, there's a bandit who is one of the person accused of the rape and murder who just laughs hysterically and maniacally at times. And it is a little bit kind of, that's student acting you know there's a few little bits like that which um kind of just jar ever so slightly um but then there are some really wonderful performances in there the performance of the samurai is brilliant he doesn't have too much to do but he's this really cold almost lifeless performance but in a in a positive way not like he doesn't care but the fact that he's actually channeling 
lifelessness, um, which is great. And it looks brilliant. There's some uh, wonderful, wonderful shots in the driving rain, uh, fantastic locations. And, and it is just a really innovative story. And what I will say is it had me gripped uh, from the beginning to end. I wanted to know what was happening. Um, and it isn't all nicely tied up either, which uh, it was great. Um, it felt like uh, a film which isn't necessarily just telling a story but is a meditation itself on the nature of truth and the nature of humanity and the idea that you as the viewer you've you've got your own perspective on this in the same way that the woodcutter in the same way that the um and i love this to get testimony from the murdered samurai they use some kind of weird psychic uh which is brilliant i'd I'd love that still being in a court of law if you could just get a psychic to (laughs) take to the stand um but you know japan's a very different culture in that sense anyway uh very you know much more spiritual than it is over here but i I will say i really really enjoyed it i've only now seen three kurosawa films i'm working my way through them very very slowly and it would be kind of at the bottom of the pile but below Yojimbo and Seven Samurai but that's not to say by any stretch of the imagination it's a bad film I did I did really really enjoy it and it it's kind of it's 93 in the top 250 on IMDb and I would say it's difficult for me personally to put it that high but I think it's rated for just as much for its influence as for its kind of just as a film in isolation so um don't go in expecting one of the greatest films ever made because i don't think it yeah it's never going to live up to those expectations but it's a really really interesting film from someone who became this incredible director so really really recommend it have you seen it owen yes yeah i saw it um i was teeing you up for a joke there and you said yeah (laughs) (laughs) um no i have seen it but it was about two maybe three years ago um yeah the lasting impression i had from it because i used to think what i don't think i'd seen any akira kurosawa mm. film before rashomon uh, i think that was the first and then i watched seven samurai afterwards mm. and actually the point you made about paths of glory i watched them pretty much back to back rashomon and paths of glory mm. and uh, i sort of felt the connection between them as well in that in the sense you know you get the very early sort of film from those guys but the the, the thing the lasting impression i had from rashomon was it was just a very cynical film about humanity and i don't think it portrays any of the characters in it in um, a very decent way you know there's not really a single sympathetic character in the entire uh and yeah you're you're right and i think that is another reason that the japanese public and critics at the time took against it is because yeah Mm. it's because it is a really but interestingly enough um most american films at that time weren't really very cynical i know you're not a massive fan of high noon i'm a i'm a huge fan of high noon and i think there's some similarities between this and high noon as well in the sense that um you know most people are shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's kind of the message from both of those films um and yeah no but i like i say it's a really really interesting film I, i do want to try and get into some uh, some more Kurosawa now and I'm I'm going to try and track down Ran shortly because I've heard that's a sprawling epic which is probably the complete opposite of Rashomon but um, yeah no I, I, I did really enjoy it well, I'm just going to jump in there before Steve introduces the next bit because I want to say that just to tie in very neatly with James's point sorry to step on your shoes again Steve but to tie in with James's point um, I also watched an Akira Kurosawa film this week. 
Uh, it's, it's like we planned it. It's almost like we've done it on purpose, but we haven't. It's just purely coincidence. You haven't. <laughs> but um, Film 4 recently did an Akira Kurosawa season. Um, over the, I think they started it in February and it went through to sometime in March. Um, and they showed uh, quite a few of his films. I think I even pointed it out when they were first mm. showing Yojimbo. Um, you did indeed, yes. So it, it, I recorded them and watched them as quickly as I could. Um, I know a lot of other people have, who I've spoken to on Twitter have recorded them but not watched them all yet. So I won't I won't talk about all of them. I don't think that'd be fair for everyone if I just spent ages rambling about each film. But I'm going to pick my favourite one, which is the the last the very last one they um, showed as part of the season, which is Ikaru. And um, the title of Ikaru, translated from Japanese, means living. And it means it in both terms of literally being alive, as well as kind of grasping your opportunities life in life and kind of living it to the fullest, if you like. So the, mm-hmm. the plot is pretty similar to Breaking Bad, if Walt was a nice guy rather than an egomaniac. Um, well, perhaps, perhaps not that similar, actually. <laughs> but basically, you've, you've got a guy called Kenji Watanabe, who is played by an actor called Takeshi, Takeshi Shimura, who's appeared in loads of other Kurosawa films, including Rashomon, actually. Um, yeah. But in this, um, Kanji is a regular bureaucrat, never missed a day's work in 30 years, uh, just does the same old routine day in, day out, until he finds out that he has stomach cancer and he's given six months to live. And it kind of throws his whole world up in the air. Um, at the same time, his son and daughter-in-law, uh, who he lives with, they're kind of unaware of what's happening to Kanji. And they just start talking about how they would spend Kanji's money uh, and how they would use his pension to just buy themselves a nice house. And how Kanji can't really complain because, you know, they're, they're, they're owed that money from him. It's their inheritance. And so, you know, upon overhearing this, he uh, combined with the bad news he's gotten, he decides, OK, he wants to spend his savings, which is like 50,000 yen. He wants to spend it all in one night. So then the film um, plots his attempts to, at kind of living wild for one night, including he buying himself a nice new hat, goes all out, buys a new hat. And then he meets a young female colleague who he then starts meeting up with quite regularly over the following week. And it's her youth and her enthusiasm that that inspires him to try and do something, to do anything to kind of give what remains of his life some meaning. Did, and did, it's just... did, did she did she take a shine to him because of the hat? <laughs> it played its part. She didn't notice the hat. It was quite a big deal, I think, because he was such a boring. What kind of hat was it? It was a sporty hat, they said, a very sporty hat, but it was just like a regular, you know, what, what you know, the suit hats they used to have in the 50s. Sport, like a trilby. Yeah. Sporty, sporty hat makes me think of helmet. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a helmet. It's just like a trilby, but a white trilby. Oh, nice. Like a Panama hat or something. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. But anyway, okay. <laughs> that wasn't a major. Yeah, a bit hung up on that. Yeah. But, um, but it's just such a wonderful film. And at the point that you made, James, you can tell even in 1952 when this was released before Seven mm. Samurai and Throne of Blood and Yojimbo, I mean, pretty much all of his most well-known films, except for Rashomon, which of course was made two years before. Mm. You can see Akira Kurosawa is an absolute master storyteller, and. Mm. Despite the fact that, you know, they're on the other side of the world and it's over half a century ago that this film was made, it crosses those cultural divides to try and tell the same story, which is just about inspiring people. And you've got to make the most of the time you're given. 
you know, don't just waste your time away on the planet just working for this faceless company that doesn't care about you. And in fact, there's a there's a joke that's made near the start of the film. Um, and I'll try and tell it, but I'm rubbish at telling jokes. Basically, the first person says, have you ever missed a day off work? And the second person says, no. First person says, is it because you're indispensable? Second person says, no, it's because I don't want the company to realise they can cope without me. And that's kind of just a really mm. subtle but fantastic setup for absolutely everything that follows as part of that. I think it's really clever, actually. It's just kind of worked in very uh, low-key into the beginning of the film, mm. but it's just, it's great. It sets everything up, as I say. And the final moments of the film uh, are just very touching. And I don't I don't want to say any more than that in case it kind of lessens the impact for anyone who, who does watch it. Mm. Um, but the final hour, 45 minutes, an hour of the film, it's a lot different to how I was expecting it to be. And I think it, overall, it's just a great film. Uh, really, really impressed me. And as good as stuff like, you know, Yojimbo and Rand that you've mentioned is and, mm. and and all those other films that they showed as part of this, the Akira Kurosawa season on film four. I think Ikaru is the best film he made. Um, and if, you know, if I do see it coming up again on film four, it's definitely going to be my recommendation. Brilliant. Oh, let me know, because that sounds really interesting, because kind of, I, I know, yeah, even me and loads of, uh, I'm sure quite a lot of people out there find that um kurosawa is synonymous with samurai mm. and it is you know obviously he did make loads of different films i have interest is it because when you started off this sounded quite similar to the synopsis or not necessarily the synopsis but the themes of um tokyo story is it a, is it a similar kind of um, is it a similar kind of film or no different? well so, okay. so, sort of they came out about the same time i think tokyo mm. story was 53 1953 it is yeah yeah oh hey about that for a look at that yeah, yeah. 1953 so it came out about the same time um mm. but tokyo story is more about um a family and how old people are kind of treated within within yeah. families and i think you've got um the the kids who are there and it's more about the effect of loss on a, on a family and the, the, but this is more about the kind of central character this is just about yeah. his story and okay what yeah. he does to try and give himself some meaning he's got six months left and he wants to make the most of it and he, he does it in the only way he knows how and it's just it's just a really nicely rounded plot as well it's just everything links together at the end you know you get comedians like Stuart Lee who are very good at doing callbacks you mm. know and yeah. they deconstruct everything. This feels like as it goes along, it's kind of deconstructing itself. And then the further you get into it, there are lots of callbacks to things that were at the start as well. So it's very oh, okay. neatly done and very clever. And I just kind of really loved it. Nice. Okay. Uh, only film I've really seen this week is Mike Bassett, England Manager again, which is, which, um, only really leads into the news that the sequel uh, Mike Bassett interim manager has been announced um, obviously Mike Bassett is from 2001 I think and um, is about uh, it's, it takes a kind of um, it's a mockumentary essentially um, taking the mick or parodying uh, what's the name of the Graham Taylor documentary James um jeez oh, uh, the hardest job that's the one the impossible, the impossible job. job the impossible job um, yeah and it do i it, not like that and it and it and it takes you know mike bassett who's a, a no hope a lower league manager to the england job and to the world cup and 
pretty much um, satirises football and gets it on the head. Didn't, I don't think it came out to that positive reviews, but I think a lot of people reviewing it in, at the time um, weren't really football fans. I don't think there's many football fans that, that knock it. It's now regard. It's now got that uh, prefix cult classic. Mm, yeah, <laughs> but if, if you don't like football, you won't get it, and you won't find any of it football. No. If you like football, you'll you'll yeah, find you'll you'll, yeah. you'll at least uh, you'll, you'll definitely find some yeah. humour in there. Um, the the sequel has been announced, and it's got the original director on board and the original writers on board, uh, and, and, Tom and Tom Linson, Linson is well. back because yeah. I think they did a TV program that lasted one series, yeah. but I don't think I saw an episode yeah, of that. Sure. Yeah, I don't Was think. It? I don't think the the writer and director from the film were involved in that. Just no. just Tomlinson. They even replaced ITV One yeah, comedy. They even replaced says everything. Yeah, they even rela- uh, replaced Bradley Ro- Walsh with somebody else to play the assistant yeah. manager. And Bradley Ro- Walsh was brilliant as as a kind of the Phil Neal character. Do you know what I found out about Bradley Walsh? Here he go. This when I was out on my big um my big uh kind of showbiz night out when I was in Glasgow. And this is not going to be libelous or anything like that. Apparently, Bradley Walsh is the nicest person in show business. Uh, Everyone I spoke to, uh, yeah, I've worked with Bradley Walsh, nicest bloke ever. Some people did then say, yeah, he's not he's not at all funny, but he's yeah, in terms of like comedian style. Yeah, he's, he's nowhere near like being a great comedian. But because he's really nice and he's really reliable, he is he's never been out of work in his entire career. So I've heard that's a lesson. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. Who from? Um, I think it was on the Football 365 forum, so you could probably take it with a pinch of salt. But someone who said they used to work in theatres, and he did panto, yeah. and he was the rudest person to every single member of the staff. Yeah, no. Really put himself above everyone else in the production. Well, see, now now what I said was never going to get a pseudo in, but God, well, you've got this is, yeah, just... it probably bollocks. <laughs> if, you've, if you've just seen videos of him, like from the chase, where they have an embarrassing or funny answer, and he just can't oh, stop yeah. laughing, it's brilliant. Uh, yeah. So that's Bradley Walsh. Schmier, I think. That's Bradley Walsh, John Barrowman, and Phil Schofield <laughs> mentioned. We're, we're, we're really kind of we are turning into yeah, women. scaring off all of our non-British mm. listeners right they now. Might have, they, they would have heard of because he's. Guys. They might have heard of Barrowman. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> I won't have heard of Bradley Walsh no. though. One of uh, miss- the UK's finest living comedians. <laughs> They're missing out. Um, but yeah, anyway, so. I don't know what to think about the sequel to this being released. Mm. I mean, the the name I like because interim manager is already kind of this popular yep. thing from people in football now, where they hire an interim manager. And you can almost imagine the idea for a film where when oh yeah they saw you know probably Rafa Benitez yeah when Rafa Benitez was in and it was always introduced as interim manager yeah. for an entire season. They probably saw that and thought there's a joke there. Hang on, yeah, maybe we've yeah. got a film. Yeah, now we just need an hour and a half's worth of four jokes. <laughs> but, you know, the first one was really good. It's kind of kind of like what I thought about Anchorman. I still haven't seen Anchorman 2. first one was really good. second one, is it going to be anywhere near kind of that level? But the, with the original people back on board, you've got hope. I mean, they're filming it at the World Cup, I believe. Yes. So it's not going to be yeah. out in time for the World Cup, but maybe if they're filming it at the World Cup, they've got, you know, some kind of access... Um, to certain things to kind of make it more realistic and believable. Um, I know that Andy Answer, who is who does, yeah, he's he's involved with it. He's back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he does. He works for a lot of these companies that kind of 
you know, whether it's advertising or it's for film or television, makes the football look believable and generally does a good yeah. job with that. So Dream Team's Andy Answer. Yes, that's right. Archester United's own Andy Answer. Yeah. So, <laughs> that was, but yeah. my hope is, uh, do you know what? If they can get, uh, if because Zlatan's going to be out there, isn't he, as a pundit? They can get Zlatan involved. I'm going to the cinema to watch it. They need to get Zlatan very, very heavily involved in this film, and then it, then I'm, I'm all over it. Just make that's yeah, all just, I want to. Just follow him round for a day. Just follow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And don't even tell him it's in a film. Just film him, because yeah. I bet he gets up to all sorts of things, and then just like slot them into the film. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm quietly optimistic about it. Good. But anyway, it's good to be optimistic. Yes. Uh, anyway, that's all for what we've been watching. Um, we'll be back after a quick break with Triple Bill. So, Triple Bill this week is uh, best uh, pre-title sequences or scenes in film. Uh, quite a self-explanatory one this time round. Or favourite? They don't. Yeah, yeah. What 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 means the most to you? Yeah. Because my one of mine is definitely not the best. <laughs> Yes, uh, so Owen, why don't you start us off with these? Okay, I'm going to get the first one out of the way because it was so obvious that both me and a few other people sort of thought of it as their first one for this, and that's Watchmen. Zack Snyder's 2009, was it 2009 or 2008 film Watchmen based on the Alan Moore graphic novel, and the opening scene starts with a character called The Comedian, uh, played by Jeffrey D. Morgan, who's uh, just watching TV, and then suddenly a mysterious stranger kind of kicks the door in. He acts like he's been expecting it. And then it just goes straight into that that typical Zack Snyder slow-mo, then fast and slow motion, then fast style <laughs> fight sequences, which looks fantastic. And mm. then you get the whole, like, you know, they have a bit of a fight. The comedian's flung out of the window. And as he's falling, you get that iconic image of the uh, falling, blood-stained, yellow, smiley-faced badge, which is... It's so synonymous with with Watchmen, mm. and I think it, part of it was I was so excited watching that in the cinema because I'm a big fan of the graphic novel, and so to mm-hmm. see it done so well, I was just really pleased with it. And it was one of those moments where I thought, yeah, I am gonna like this interpretation. Now. This adaptation is really gonna be very good, and it was. I really I really liked the film Watchmen. Yeah, but it's one of those now that everyone kind of thinks about because it's like I say, it's just such an iconic mm. image. Um. So Watchmen, I'm presuming then that wasn't one nice. of yours then, James. It no, wasn't, no. but it was it was one that I, I do enjoy. I think it's a great choice. Cool, yeah. I think, like I say, lots of other people kind of immediately thought of it as well. So I've got that one out of the way first. Good. The second one uh, that I'm picking out of my triple bill, is, well, I, I kind of struggled a little bit to think, well, what, what opening scenes that take place before the title mm-hmm. credits roll? Yeah. Do, do I actually remember and which ones of those do I like? Mm. And uh, sort of turned to my wife and I said, so what what do you think? And her first reaction straight away was Jurassic Park. So Jurassic nice. Park's one of mine. Nice. You know, ready the tasers, raise the gate. And then you've got yes. the raptor in the cage. Kind Shooter! Of, Shooter, yeah, the big cry. And then it was just, um, again, one of those moments where I saw, saw it's only 20 years ago now, but it was released yeah. when it was released in cinema. So I was only quite young. But seeing it then at the time, it was just, wow, this is like nothing else that I've seen yeah. or been allowed to watch before. You know, <laughs> this big dinosaur. Well, you don't even see the dinosaur. That's how good it is. And it still yeah. grabs your attention straight away. It's um, just a brilliant scene. It was awesome then. It's awesome now. Yeah. Just. 
I rewatched it earlier this evening. I, I, I set up a pile of about 10, 12 DVDs and went through a load of opening. And Jurassic Park was one of the ones because Spielberg's actually really good at this. Mm. I had a, a few Spielberg ones in there and that was one of the ones which so nearly made my list. But yeah, no, that's great. And and it, it just sets up the film as well, doesn't it? You're like, <laughs> shit, there's, this is done. But you don't even meet any of the, the major characters in that either. You're just suddenly like, oh, my God, there's dinosaurs. They're, they're a bit bloody dangerous. What? What's going on? Yeah. yeah. It's just um just so tense as well. It's like just straight into the action and you're straight into yeah. what is going to happen. And, yeah, just done so well. Um, and my final choice. Um, I feel like I'm rattling through these, but I think with the opening scenes, you haven't really got a lot to say about it because no, you just want to no. tell how it sets everything up and why it's good. So my final choice after rattling through those two is I'm going back to I haven't I haven't picked like zombie films for ages, um, but I've gone for Day of the Dead because it's I, I mean I love Dawn of the Dead I love the opening sort of raid scene I love Night of the Living Dead as well um, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have a great pre-credits sequence but day of the deads is the best of the three i think and it's it's one of the best for any film that i've seen so if you've not seen it it starts off with uh sarah played by laurie cardell who is um sitting against the wall she's got a head down and then suddenly the, the sort of brilliant soundtrack from day of the dead starts to kick in starts off quite slowly sort of building to something she spies a calendar on the other side of the room on the wall everything's white she walks over to the wall you see the date it's 31st of october and then bam suddenly arms come flying through the walls and it you know suddenly she's shot out of this like dream that she's in and you start with them on on the uh helicopter flying to the sort of abandoned coastal town which is great anyway that whole bit that's when the credits start to roll but it's just that first moment yeah with um all those arms that just shoot through the wall and it's just fantastic proper like jump scare moment but it's it's brilliant again it just sets everything up perfectly um as well as then going straight from this like enclosed little room which is itself uh, kind of uh, set up for the whole story and how the claustrophobic atmosphere is quite important to the whole of day of the dead then you go straight into this bright sunny uh, open uh, helicopter ride to this little abandoned village that's full of zombies. And it, it's kind of in juxtaposition to the whole claustrophobic atmosphere. So mm-hmm. the fact it just jumps from this little room to this big open space and then back to this underground bunker, it's perfect. I think that that part of the, the, of the day, the day of the dead is just, it's probably one of the best scenes in any zombie film. And I, mm-hmm. I really like the opening. Wow. Okay. Uh, you have rattled through those. <laughs> uh, so on to my three. I don't think you could have done this without having a Bond film in there somewhere. See, I'd, I've avoided Bond films purely because uh, I thought that was the easy option, Steve. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> well, if there's going to be someone who takes an easy option, I've gone for Goldfinger. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, one of the, the best Bond films. Sure. Uh, the third one made, 64. Uh, Sean Connery, playing James Bond, goes and goes and destroys a drug lab and electric shocks someone to death and then comes out the line shocking. And that's about all you need to know about James Bond. 
If you've never seen James Bond before, <laughs> it, that's it does what you need. Up James Bond in one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no one who's ever seen a Bond film watches that and instantly goes, "I know what James Bond is about." Yeah. yeah. Right. If you haven't seen it before, he's a he's a British spy, secret agent. He destroys a drug lab, electrocutes someone, and then says, "Shocking." Yeah. In, in a, <laughs> like years before Arnie was doing that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. 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 In a much more suave way than Arnie yeah. as well. That is a shock. Yeah. That's how I might have said it. Uh, so yes, that's that's number one. Number two is the a recent film, Avengers Assemble. Uh, the mm-hmm. whole sort of pre-title scene of Loki um, being told to get the Tesseract from the is it Chitari? Yeah. yeah. And then you know, going to Earth, finding the Tesseract, um, turning Selvig and Hawkeye, and blowing up Shield's base and nearly killing. Nick Fury and Maria Hill and escaping, setting up the whole film of what was probably the best superhero film of recent times, even mm, in, yeah. even including um, some of the the Christopher Nolan um, Dark Knight films. I'd, I'd agree. I'd say mm. Avengers Assemble was was better. It was more fun. Yeah. And that's what yeah. I want from a superhero film is fun, and that was fun from the outset. Yeah, and what I like that is about that it, again, it, none of the none of the big franchise people in that first bit. Um, no. You're not seeing Iron Man, you're not seeing Captain America. It's it's all about setting up. You're seeing one of the bad guys that you've seen before, yeah. but that's about it. And, and Hiddleston and, um, wasn't really big then either, was he? No, no, no. Avengers made made. I, mean, I know, he, I know into, he was in. He's a great actor. Yeah, but, I know he yeah. was in Thor. As, as yeah. either, you know. but no Avengers Avengers properly kind of put him on a global stage yeah. Um, but yeah like you got to the bit where all of a sudden the big Avengers assemble bit comes up and you kind of that's the moment you kind of catch your breath and think my god the, hang on did we just fit all of that into about 10 minutes I, I trust that they're going to deliver here and because that, that was a huge the, the, the pressure on that opening 10 minutes was huge because they yeah, Marvel had basically bet everything on and yeah, their entire strategy on that one was film really based mm. on the fact that the Avengers would pull it all together and be a success. Even, even though the they'd fact, obviously done phase one for every character yeah. before that. They were banking on Avengers to kickstart everything, which has gone into yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy, which has gone into Agents of Shield on T V and then these four different shows they're putting onto Netflix. Exactly. If, if Avengers had failed, you wouldn't be seeing half of what you're seeing from Marvel at the moment. No. And and so that's that's the pressure that was on that film with a guy who hadn't really directed big budget cinema ever. So just to pull all of that together, uh, brilliant. No, great choice, Steve. And it was one of those I kind of considered as well. And uh, the final choice, probably going to annoy you two with this one. <laughs> oh. Going back to, to 1997, possibly even 1977, depending on how old you are. And I'm counting this as, as, as pre-title sequence. <laughs> oh, Jesus. What? Definitely not 1997's one then, because it mentioned tax in it. No, that was, that was different. That was, that was different. That was, you yeah. know. It's Star Wars, and I'm not going on about the the opening. No. Bit. The pre-title bit for me is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. And see, it was 1997 they re-released them, wasn't it? Twenty years after yeah. 
you know, and then they went and done all oh, the pre- course, So yeah. 1997 was the re-release. Now I'm sure yeah. they've been on TV. I can't ever remember seeing. I can't. I can't ever remember seeing them on TV. And I was what? I'm an old. And what was I? Though. Nine in 1997? No, I was 11, 10 or 11. What depending on what time of year they came out. I can't remember seeing them on TV. I I knew nothing of Star Wars other than seeing some of my uncle's old figures at my grand's house. I I knew nothing of it, and mm. I went to the cinema to see it. And as soon as that came up at the start, a long time ago in a galaxy far, I knew, I just knew this is going to be bloody brilliant oh, <laughs> love at first from, from that point on I just thought never seen this in a film before it's going to be great I'm, I'm genuinely jealous that your first experience of Star Wars was in a cinema that's the yeah, way it I should be so I, I watched it in the 80s on television yeah I but... might I might well have seen them on TV but I just can't remember watching them on TV you know prior to that cinema re-release nice so yeah yeah. That, that's nice, Steve. Nice and nostalgic. Yes. Uh, James, you're right. as you specifically asked to go last. Yeah, I asked to go last because I'd hope that one of you two would at least take one of my five off my hands for me. <laughs> and we did, uh, and we and that's not happened. So I'm just going to chuck two out there really quickly that didn't make my list and I've had to rejig it slightly. Um, the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, mm. introducing us to Indiana Jones, fantastic sequence. Um, and the opening to The Matrix as well, which uh, I again watched this evening and thought... Bloody hell, that was yeah, that was something I hadn't seen before. But the ones I've gone for are one which is one of my favourite ever for personal reasons, and two which I think that have to be there for what they did to their genres. Uh, so the first one going is my favourite one, which I was having this conversation on Twitter earlier today about guilty pleasures. Um, and I don't like the phrase guilty pleasures at all because if something gives you pleasure, why should I feel guilty about it? And just because this is generally regarded as a bad film. I enjoy it, and I have no shame in admitting it. And this film, I've probably mentioned on here before, is Triple uh, X, uh, starring <laughs> Vin Diesel. And the opening of Triple X, uh, again, this a lot of this is personal, because the opening starts off with the opening bars of a song called Feuer Frei by Rammstein, uh, who are a German... Oh, they're so much more than metal. They're you know, a German behemoth of music. And... Um, so you hear those opening bars and and the camera pans up on Prague's old town square and Prague is my favourite city in the world. So this is I'm predetermined to like this, uh, but it's this great little sequence where this guy swoops in and steals this strange device off of someone and he unzips his jacket and he's clearly meant to be the the representation of James Bond the old school and you got to remember when this was made it was before um Daniel Craig had turned it into kind of like a hard nose but this was the fancy Dan English spy guess what mate there's a new kid in town and his name's Vin Diesel <laughs> but let's just forget that bit for now because what we're seeing here is this spy gets hold of this and he runs down some alleyways and he uses a fancy little jigama thing to uh, open a door and lock it behind him. It actually looks a bit like a sonic screwdriver. It's a bit, bit Doctor Who, actually. Um, and he ends up in this nightclub. And on stage are Rammstein playing Foyer Fry. So he's ended up in this Prague nightclub. Um, and these heavies are after him. And there's a big kind of lank-haired gangster up at the top there who's ordering someone to shoot this James Bond-style character. And he gets into the crowd. And Rammstein are doing their thing, which is strapping flamethrowers to their face while they play guitars, which is the most incredible thing ever. And so they're doing that while James Bond gets shot. 
and falls onto the crowd and the crowd think he's crowd surfing uh and it's great and then someone picks up a thing and then it ends with till linden of ramstein going bang bang cut to credits amazing um so that's the opening of and i know that sounded a little bit like when alan partridge describes the opening of uh, the spy loved me but i don't care um so yeah that's my first choice uh my second choice is going to it's um scream um the the opening kind of 10 minutes or so of scream and what you do get is you do get a flash up it just says scream right at the beginning and then go straight into the film um and this first section is uh you've got um drew barrymore uh playing a teenager uh but you know drew barrymore as teenager at home gets a phone call uh wrong number or is it do you like scary movies and then starts quizzing her and then it turns very nasty and it's very much a kind of typical slasher film and you think right okay yeah i'm here watching a res craven slasher film um but then the call on the phone starts talking it starts getting all meta about horror films and there's kind of like a horror film pop trivia thing you think hang on this is a bit different from normal um and then spoiler and i'm i don't want to this isn't a massive massive spoiler surely scream's been out for years so i'm just going to say if you've not seen scream and you plan to just turn off for the next 30 seconds to a minute okay um yeah and then drew barrymore who was on the poster and in all the pre-film kind of marketing and everything like that gets killed in the first 10 minutes and that was that was completely unexpected and what i think is you couldn't get you wouldn't have that happen these days because of the internet these things get leaked and preview screenings and things like that i think if screener screamer come out now people would know that that's what happened but certainly when i first watched scream i had no idea and i was really shocked because that was a big star the the biggest name connected with the film gets offed in the first 10 minutes and um and then just cut to uh neve campbell and it's like whoa fuck just happened there um and and i love scream as i I think scream is a fantastic horror film and very funny with it and uh possibly better even in my mind than cabin in the woods which i think was more funny than scary screams a genuinely quite scary slasher film so um but just for the way it opened it really introduced the film made you think hang on okay i'm not gonna quite know what's going on here and that's what i really enjoyed about it excellent and then fine so finally yes uh mother which again just spawned imitators uh but spawned a whole new kind of genre in itself is the opening scene from reservoir dogs um you've got all the gangsters dressed in their black suits around a breakfast table and what i love about this scene is it pretty much opens on that there's no music or anything like that and it opens with quentin tarantino giving a speech about madonna's um like a virgin and the actual meaning behind the song and so you're in and again we take these things for granted now but this was the first time anyone had ever kind of made a gangster film with this kind of pop culture referencing quick fire dialogue and so you've got quentin tarantino talking about that you've got harvey keitel um doing an impression of his boss going through his address book going johnny wong johnny charlie fucking chan and you know and and then you've also got steve buscemi's um diatribe against compulsory tipping and this is the smallest violin in the world and, you know and you so there's three great little bits that just chucked into one scene and by the end of that scene you pretty much know the character of each of those people around the table there 
or at least you think you do um and you know that this isn't going to be an ordinary gangster film this is going to be a smart film this is going to be a funny film this is a film that's going to make you think and then you get the uh radio dj um announcing the song that he's going to play and then bang little green bag comes in wow what an incredible start to a film so that that's my number one see i i almost went for pulp fiction which is another brilliant way again tarantino does it so well yeah i was gonna say just in the diner you know they're talking about robbing the bank and then quarter shops and the liquor store and then the restaurant and of course you get the everybody be cool this is a robbery any of you fucking pigs move and i execute every last motherfucking one of you i thought it's just a then again straight into that now yeah iconoclastic music but at the time that music wasn't famous Oh, exactly yeah yeah it's uh, and that's his skill yeah yeah definitely kind of with pulp fiction i still claim that's his best film um, yes but yeah it's i mean it is close between that and reservoir dogs as to which yeah. is the best area. and and for me the i think the the reason i went for reservoir dogs it was it was simply the first time he did it and that was the, that was mm. the first time kind of slapped up and went oh my god wow this is going to be different um so yeah there, there's uh there's my triple bill there did we have anything from any of our listeners um not ne- no do you know what everyone's been ignoring us on twitter today i i genuinely asked a question and no one <laughs> but we did have a few let me just double check because we did have a few i believe uh can i just mention one then that when i was asking yeah. my wife earlier no. and one that she's she's kind of remembered for, for the wrong reasons i think um but wolf of wall street with the uh, coke sniffing off a bum hole that oh was god one that yeah <laughs> kind of she remembers most i think but she didn't no, say that was her favorite yeah. yeah no no that that's a really good one actually no i was watching them with um with my wife earlier and yeah jurassic park was one of her choices actually um and there was a few i looked back in no i can't find any uh, others there was a few that i looked back in and they weren't quite as i remembered like drive mm. and so i put on the beginning of drive and actually there's a bit before the really cool stuff yeah. um and saving private ryan actually starts off with old man mm. tom hanks uh cemetery and i was like oh right so it doesn't just start with the normandy landing okay um and a few of them were more felt to me more like credit sequences themselves and so i had to kind of discount those it's funny you should mention that i had the same thing I, the, one of the others that sort of immediately came to my mind after watchmen was uh, a history of violence you know the mm. cronenberg film yeah and the opening diner scene but the diner scene isn't the first scene the first scene is Stephen mccatty and uh, the other bloke whose name i forget walking out of the motel and then you get that panning yeah. camera you know that, that follows the profile of the car as they drop yeah. the road a bit and that's already when the credits are rolling and yeah. it's kind of like oh, well, yeah nothing happened, weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah oh the other one that um uh kate said and i kind of had to just throw away because i had too many uh was the opening of the lion king as well oh yeah um, yeah which is just again it's a song but it's you know it's this big epic animation and that that just sets up that film brilliantly and then the lion king comes up and that's that's also a great one as well so i've cheated a lot there and i think i've mentioned six in the end sorry steve there you go then well done (laughs) uh anyway yeah so we'll have another break and then we've got three new releases for you Our first new release uh, this week is uh, Need for Speed, uh, starring Aaron Paul of Breaking Bad fame. Here's a clip. Wait, wait, wait. You're not going anywhere. 
you need to write Caesar. And Ingram is not going to leave this car in the hands of an ex-con who is about to leave the state and break parole. 44 hours and 59 minutes left. Let's go. So that is a clip of Need for Speed uh, based on the popular video game series. See how cool was that sounded there saying video game. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit disappointed actually at the beginning when the EA symbol came up and it didn't go EA in the game. It's not a, it's oh, not a was, sports I'm, game. So it's not going to do that, is it? There's no game. Know, what but, is the I, game? Uh, driving around like a lunatic. Hmm. So anyway, <laughs> this film uh, was it just a poor man's Fast and Furious. Let's find out. Uh, yes. Yes, it was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so basically, the idea is, uh, yeah, Aaron Paul plays this guy who runs a, a, a garage which does up cars, and uh, he's also a street racer, and he accepts a kind of race, and someone dies, and he takes the rap for it. And then everything I read online says about joins a cross-country race, which is nonsense. I keep reading it on all the official stuff. He doesn't join a cross-country race at all. He goes across country to join a race, and that's a very different thing. Yeah, he doesn't do a cannonball run then. No, no, it's not Cannibal no. Run at all. It's not as funny as which, Cannibal Run. For... No, definitely not as funny as Cannibal Run. No, it's not um, as good as Cannibal Run either. <laughs> no, no, no for, yeah, it's got no Burt Reynolds. For it. It re- it's dying out for a Burt mm. Reynolds. Um, yeah, what I will say, I don't actually know much of Aaron Paul because I've not seen Breaking Bad. Um, he's got a weird face. He's got a weird shaped face. It's a bit square. Uh, put me off a little it's a bit. bit. Small, uh, isn't it? the bits in the middle are all a bit close together and yeah yeah, yeah that's right yeah. exactly he always right. looks Dominic quite could... tall on like tv interviews but when you see him in breaking bad compared to um and in this he's quite short yeah, he yeah. Quite he's, short. He's, yeah. It's a, it's a, he's an odd choice and I, was, i'm assuming he rather fittingly i think he was on the, the last top gear before their special uh doing doing little star in a reasonably surprised car and, yep. and come top out of the whole lot of stars in the reasonably priced car. Well, that doesn't surprise me because reading well, about this is that film, kind of like a. Oh, is Owen going to be really silly? I'm going to be silly. <laughs> Surely uh, that's they just. Well, no, apparently. Off, um, <laughs> I, was, I was reading about the film, and apparently every single member of the cast who was going to be driving had. Um, weeks of stunt driving yeah, i also read there was like no cgi help or anything it was all actually any everything you saw in the film was actually done yeah. so i mean which is impressive. yeah which is impressive and they deserve some credit for that they, they do deserve some credit for that it's just a shame it's fitted around a film with a plot that we've seen done a million times well, we've, we've and seen it done at Tom least six times done. before in the fast and furious series. well yeah <laughs> and makes no sense as well at times there's there's bits of this okay there's this idea that there is this rich billionaire guy or you know or at least multimillionaire who no one in the country knows who he is but he's got a website with his face <laughs> on and put together um this big final race where everyone races and i'm not spoiling anything here because you know what loads of cars get smashed up but the whole idea of this last race is that the winner ends up with everyone's cars okay that's the big thing um 
but everyone's cars are getting smashed to fuck during the race. And I was watching this going, what's the winner actually going to end up with here? His own car. That's a bit shite. Um, that This guy's played by Michael Keaton, who hams it up brilliantly. And I'm a big fan of Michael Keaton, so I didn't mind seeing him there at all. Um, another person who's in, Imogen Poots, big fan of Imogen Poots. She's been doing some really good films recently, but she's also started doing a few crappy American films. And I'm slightly concerned yeah, but, that her... But maybe, like, and to draw an analogy to football, which yes. people who don't like football probably hate, it's a bit like Steve Sidwell going to Chelsea. He's going to sit on the bench for a few years, but he's going to get a fuckload of money from it. Maybe that's what she's doing. Maybe she's going, this is filming going to be very good. No one's going to remember me for it. Oh, God, I'm going to get a shitload of money for it. I, I'm just hoping it's... Raise a profile, though. I mean, you know... Raise a oh, profile, yeah, there's... but there's... There is a moment where you raise your profile and then end up... If you raise your profile using crap films... You'll, you will only, you'll, it's the Catherine Heigl situation. But then you've got uh, the McConaughey. You'll only end up doing crap films. And then you get paid less and less and less and less and less. And uh, if you, the way to, the way, especially, you know, for women in Hollywood to, to have a long lasting career is to actually make sensible acting choices. Yeah. More than anything else, that's the way you keep going. Because do you know what? And I'd hate to say it. But this is the way Hollywood works. Your looks will fade and you will need to rely on something more than that. That's all I'm going to say on that issue. Um, but, you know, she's decent enough in it. She just plays a kind of random British woman. Um, and so I'm glad they didn't make her do an accent. She's quite kind of endearing. There's there's a bit of chemistry between her and Aaron Paul. It, it's not enough not enough to sustain a two-hour, ten-minute runtime. What the hell? It's just, it's just a film where you really have seen everything before. There's nothing yeah. new. The characters are nothing new. The plot's no. nothing new. No. A... And you can, you can actually physically identify the bits. You can go, oh yeah, they've seen them do something yeah. like that in Fast and Furious. It, it, yeah, it the kind of gang dynamic. It doesn't, really, is... it doesn't really matter if the acting's not that good or if it is that good in this film. It's just, it's just a bit boring because it's predictable and all been seen before. And the acting isn't that good. I mean, you think at least with Aaron Paul, he's going to be kind of on... on par you know on kind of not on par but you know he's he's great in breaking bad but okay but, no no i appreciate him and i've heard people get almost excited about his film just because he's in it because not, they've obviously yeah. been really impressed by breaking bad well, i've not, and that's I've not seen enough. anything else that he's been in other than breaking bad so i don't know if breaking bad kind of a one-off for him he's, he's in that new film isn't he with um pierce brosnan and uh Oh, the the love punch. Yeah, something like that. About these four people who go to commit suicide and then form a like yeah. support group. Yeah, yeah, that was on in Glasgow, but I didn't get a chance to see that. But I've I've heard reasonably good things about that actually. Yeah, I, do you know what? I I can see why he'd do this film. Although, as was mentioned last week, I can't. Was it you, Owen, or was it Callum who said that apparently he wasn't going to do it? Then read the script and thought, I've got to do this film. That was me. I think it was my expert oh, journalism because I watched yeah. Graham Norton. And seriously. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if he actually read a script to a different film and got <laughs> confused. Um, uh, also, the, the other thing, if you like cars being smashed about, yeah, I'm sure you'll enjoy this, but you might as well watch Top Gear. I, I, I don't know why you'd spend money to come. And f- final thing, because it, it's not a good film. It's really not a good film. Um, it's not it's not the worst film in the world. It's proficiently made and things, but it's not a good film. But if anyone ever tries to use IMDb ratings to kind of settle an argument uh, over film, punch them in the face from now on. Because 
This has got a 7.3 rating on IMDb. And I noticed 300 Rise and Empire has got a 7 plus rating on IMDb at the moment as well. And I can only assume that IMDb is now solely populated in terms of voting terms by 13 year old boys. Um, (laughs) I am stunned. Uh, And that's just something. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. And they not only reference Top Gun in the title, um, but someone keeps insisting on being called Maverick during the film as well. So the fact that it's even referencing Top Gun and I preferred Top Gun to this is enough to make me annoyed. So, no, I honestly don't bother with it. I read um, a great a great tweet from um, Robbie Collin, you know, Telegraph mm. uh, yeah. film journalist. He said um, the need, the, some the point you made, actually, that the need for speed, the title won't be lost on its audience because, you know, the ironic title of need for speed when it's two hours 10 minutes what on earth is what is yeah. why is it that length honestly do you know what I, I again i think that's something they saw the fast and furious films did and went well fast and furious films are over two hours so ours has got to be but the fast and furious films have got uh dwayne the rock johnson in, and they've got and, a huge fan base already and a huge fan base already exactly and more, they've got more characters and regardless of what you think of the Fast and the Furious films, and I, I, I can understand why some people don't like them. I've got a bit of a soft spot for them. I, I enjoy them. But generally, there's not a lot of kind of downtime in those films. They fill two and a quarter hours with pulling a sh- pulling a massive safe with two cars and stuff like that. You know, they, they just, this had loads of downtime and kind of, oh yeah, it was just a, the, the setup itself took about half an hour to get going, which is, criminal in this kind of film mm. uh, it just seems bizarre it put me off watching it actually the length i wouldn't have mind. I, I didn't fancy it anyway because i'm not a fan of fast and furious and i thought it'd be a worse version of that anyway but i thought right. two, hours, two hours ten minutes is just too much i just yeah. couldn't couldn't be bothered with it i didn't see it in 3d i saw i i couldn't understand why i would want to watch it in 3d um but it's available in 3d if you're so inclined hey uh, Owen has seen a new release, and that is Starred Up. Uh, tell us about actually, that. Actually, actually, I it's haven't. It's just me, Steve. <laughs> just, yeah, it's just me. It's just... Owen's not seen anything this week because he's a slacker. Lazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Starred Up um, is the new British uh, film set in a prison. Uh, it's directed by David McKenzie, who di- directed, amongst other things, Hallam Foe from a few years ago. Um, it's actually written by a guy who used to work in the anger management uh, therapy section of a prison so it's got that kind of insider's eye stars jack o'connell who i i found out i didn't even realize he was in 300 rise of an empire he was the son who was trying to fight alongside his dad in 300 rise of an empire kind of very forgettable in that film although he did black up with that skeleton thing at the end um but in this film he is incredible he is a 19 year old who is transferred to an adult prison for the first time and it's also the prison where his dad played by ben mendelson uh is based and the there is a a kind of anger therapist there played by rupert friend it's a really really intense film and what i will say is a lot of people have seen the trailer and said it looks terrible it looks like um looks like a plan b video or something like that yeah it don't pay any attention to the trailer this is actually a and someone mentioned kitchen sink drama uh, to me earlier. And actually, yeah, in the kind of truest sense of the word, this is a kitchen sink. It's about the un- angry young working class men uh, of this country. And it's about a young man 
who is incredibly violent, incredibly angry, and his issues clearly come from somewhere. Um, it doesn't glamorise prison life at all. In fact, it makes prison look like an absolute fucking hellhole, to be honest. Uh, doesn't glamorise prison life at all. But at the same time, you recognise the machismo going on there. You recognise the different dynamics. It relies on a few kind of stereotypical prison movie tropes, like a, a corrupt assistant governor, for example, um, yeah, a, a prisoner who's kind of sat at the top and everyone else does his bidding and things like that. So, And narratively it doesn't play out like the docudrama that it feels like it starts off. It, 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 does, it does feel very much like a docudrama at the beginning. Um, it's, it was filmed inside a recently decommissioned prison. So you, you've got that real intense claustrophobic feeling. Very A lot of handheld video there, a lot of lingering shots, and it kind of slowly builds uh, a tone uh, and an environment for you to to immerse yourself in and then about halfway through it just really really starts gnawing away at you it's a real kind of brutal gut punch of a film what i will say is if you were able to sit through 12 years a slave you'll be able to sit through this but it isn't an easy watch uh, there is a lot of quite unrestrained violence and there is a lot of bits that will make you angry about people and about systems and about institutions um it's also actually in some places really funny there's there's some great little lines there's some lovely chemistry between a lot of the actors again all very very believable kind of from the ken loach school of filmmaking a little bit actually yeah dave mckenzie himself is a scottish filmmaker i believe he's worked with ken loach or has you know has moved in those circles at least um so yeah brilliant brilliant film it's one of my favorite films of the year actually uh, and it's still a film that i'm struggling to process uh, but jack o'connell in the lead is this wiry intense constantly kind of threatening character um full of swagger and vulnerability at the same time um honestly one of the finest performances i've seen this year and this film was uh, nominated for lots of biffers british independent film awards last year and when we were reading through the the films that had been nominated kind of going start up all start up and none of us knew what start up was at the time if i remember correctly i'm pretty sure we we're going start up don't know what that is and now i can i can see why each and every one of those nominations was deserved uh, and ben mendelson actually won a biffer for best supporting actor so i Please, please don't believe the trailer. Go and make your own mind up because it's it's one of the best films I've seen this year. Is it another problem with the trailer kind of misleading people like we see so much? I mean, the trailer at the moment yeah. seems to be a lot on E4 in between all the awful American sitcoms they show. Yeah, I, I honestly think they're trying to get young people down to the cinema who think that prison thugs are cool. Honestly, and it's a shame. because Although maybe it's not a shame. 
fame, actually, because maybe the people who are attracted to the film because of the trailer actually need to go and see the film because so they can realise that prison thugs aren't cool. <laughs> I sound so old, don't I? Prison thugs aren't cool, kids. Stay in school um, and just say, yes, just say no. Exactly. Um, but actually, no, it's 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 not a political film but it's definitely a sociological film in the it, you know it does make you think about um our place in society and people in you know incarcerated people's place in society so it's definitely a film to make you think and to round up this bit james is going to recap zero theorem he just very very quickly because um yeah zero theorem came out and i only quickly recapped it at the end of the glasgow podcast and so i'll just quickly recap it now because it is in cinemas it's the new terry gilliam film uh based on a screenplay um by pat rushin and apparently now terry gilliam has come out and said that it's not some part of overarching dystopian sci-fi trilogy but it's impossible to watch this film and not at least think of Brazil uh, in a lot of instances. Stars Christoph Waltz as a a computer. I don't know if I'd call him a hacker, but a computer processor basically, um, who works for a company um, run in this bizarre cameo from Matt Damon. Uh, just kind of the cameo itself is almost worth the price of admission just because it's so weird. Um, a bit like Robert and, De Niro in Brazil, is it? Pardon bit like robert de niro in brazil yes that was a bit of a yeah, weird yeah yeah yes character. it was actually yeah. yeah a weird thing for him to be there and yeah that actually yeah that's quite a good um comparison um yeah christoph volt stars as this quite disturbed person who is waiting for a phone call from the management and eventually he gets put onto a project called uh, which is to find out the the answer to the zero theorem which is to prove that all life is meaningless basically and why did anyone even research that it's just um that, that's part that's one of the questions of the film actually is why would you and it's a question he asks at one point why would you want to prove that life that's, is meaningless if that's, the, if that's the end game of your research you yeah. do something else. and and do you know what i still can't quite answer why they were doing that or what it's it's not a film that made a huge amount of sense to me it was a very stylish film even though it's made on a tiny budget um it's a film about again the world that terry gilliam has created and some lovely little performances christoph Waltz is uh, a great performance david thewlis is brilliant and it's always good to see david thewlis on our screens um tilda swinton playing this kind of computer uh psychiatrist computer generated psychiatrist she's really really good in it and uh, melanie thierry um is uh, a, a nice charming counterpoint to christoph waltz in it as well but it's I, I can see why people would hate it i could see why people wouldn't get it and i'm not saying that i completely got it at all i just sat there and kind of let it wash over me a little bit and it's a film that i think i want to go back and watch again but it it did remind me a lot of Brazil. Uh, it's not quite as good as Brazil. And when I say that, I know Owen's kind of inwardly grimacing there because I know Owen's not even a big fan of Brazil. So I'm sure that's why he turned down the opportunity to go and watch this for free. I skived um, yeah, I could have gone, Yeah, he skived <laughs> Terrible. What I will say, though, is I'm really glad that this film... I'm really glad Terry Gilliam is still able to make films. And I think it's important that films like this are still being made and still receiving marketing. Problem is, it's probably going to bomb horribly at the box office. And so the next time someone wants to make a film like this, it's going to be more difficult for them. But at least it did get made in the first place. And I know that doesn't sound like much of a 
a kind of recommendation to go and watch it. Oh, at least it got made. Um, but when you're talking about Terry Gilliam and some of the disasters he's had, not in terms, some of the just the amount of films he's tried to make over the years and they've fallen through for one reason or another. I'm kind of I'm just pleased for him that he he got one made quite easily. Um, and it, it's an interesting film, but it's it again it's not really what it's being sold as according to some of the uh, trailers and. I wouldn't be surprised to see walkouts of it because it's just a bit weird. Okay. Uh, so on to some recommendations then for the week ahead. I want to kick off with television. Uh, Sunday has a lot worth watching. If you've staggered home from the pub on Saturday night, technically it's Sunday, 20 past midnight on ITV2 is the Bourne Supremacy. Obviously you need to be okay with the rest of the Bourne films preceding that one. Um, I can't remember. Or not. I watched it without, without knowing much about them. I thought really? Legacy, well, I've seen the first one, first Bourne film. Yeah. Bourne Legacy. Um, Not Bourne Legacy. The, yeah. I yeah. kind of watched that one without knowing much about oh. the rest of them. So the the only one I'd really seen was the first <laughs> one. I think the others, as you've seen, as I've watched them since, you know, they make yeah. a bit more sense. But I think each one's kind of an its own okay. story anyway. Uh, but don't bother watching Legacy because that's the Jeremy Renner yeah. one, and that's terrible. Mm. Oh. Well. <laughs> yeah. uh, so film four, one o'clock in the afternoon, the original Ice Age. I've still not seen that. Is it any good? It's, yeah, it's good. It's, uh, it's entertaining. You're recommending it, Steve, so it should be right. <laughs> ITV four uh, at five past three. Kelly's Heroes, the ensemble cast World War Two film, <clears throat> uh, a Bond film on ITV one at quarter past four. The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, five o'clock. Uh, film uh, uh, Channel five. 20 par, uh, 22 6 the great escape <laughs> a weekly recommendation just, just, yeah yeah that's oh, no no that no that's escape to victory isn't it yeah. a weekly oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, film, yeah no, film, that's just 3 months too late film 4 at 5 to 7 the truman show uh, nice itv 4 at 9 o'clock get carter 9 o'clock on uh, film 4 this is england uh, owen what are you putting forward uh, a film we've kind of already talked about a little bit on the podcast today, um, and we've said why everyone should watch it already, but it's uh, Avengers Assemble, or also known as Marvel's The Avengers, which has been added to UK Netflix uh, quite recently, I think in the past week or so. Um, so, as we've said, all the reasons should, people should watch it, it's the, probably the best superhero film just fantastic fun even people i've recommended this to who wouldn't normally watch films like this have really enjoyed it so yes avengers assemble on netflix uk uh, uh, james uh yeah i'm going for new out on dvd on uh, monday which is the 24th of march one of my favorite films from last year i know owen was a big fan of it as well and it got some oscars love uh and bafta love as well and that's philomena starring uh dame judy dench and steve coogan um great great film which will make you laugh and then incredibly angry in equal measure mm. okay um so that's all our recommendations um before we go what have we got in store for next week it's our summer preview isn't it yeah, basically, because there's barely anything out that is worth looking at. I, I, seriously, there is. Well, apart from Startup, which uh, I've already reviewed. So we've got we've got no reviews next week. Um, so it's what we've been watching, but then our summer preview. Um, so we'll all be picking three films, but with slightly differing 
criteria this time compared to last time. So it'll be the the blockbuster we're most looking forward to, the kind of under the radar film that a lot a lot of people might not have heard of that you're most looking forward to, and then the film that you think might actually disappoint you this summer. Excellent. Um, and obviously we'll be back with the news quiz, what we've been watching. Uh, so thanks to everyone who's listened uh, and contributed anyway. Uh, we'll uh, join you same time next week. The failed critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics, and on Twitter at at failedcritics. All nicely tied up either, which uh, it was great. Um, it felt like uh, a film which isn't necessarily just telling a story, but is a meditation itself on the nature of truth and the nature of humanity and the idea that you as the viewer, you've you've got your own perspective on this in the same way that the woodcutter in the same way that the um, and I love this to get testimony from the murdered samurai they use some kind of weird psychic uh which is brilliant i'd I'd love that still being in a court of law if you could just get a psychic to (laughs) take to the stand um but you know japan's a very different culture in that sense anyway uh very you know much more spiritual than it is over here but i I will say i really really enjoyed it i've only now seen three kurosawa films i'm working my way through them very very slowly and it would be kind of at the bottom of the pile but below Yojimbo and Seven Samurai but that's not to say by any stretch of the imagination it's a bad film I did I did really really enjoy it and it it's kind of it's 93 in the top 250 on IMDb and I would say it's difficult for me personally to put it that high but I think it's rated for just as much for its influence as for its kind of just as a film in isolation so um don't go in expecting one of the greatest films ever made because i don't think it yeah it's never going to live up to those expectations but it's a really really interesting film from someone who became this incredible director so really really recommend it. have you seen it owen yes yeah i saw it um i was teeing you up for a joke there and you said yeah I know. <laughs> <laughs> um no i have seen it but it was about two maybe three years ago um yeah the lasting impression i had from it because i used to think what well, i don't think i'd seen any akira kurosawa mm. film before rashomon uh, i think that was the first and then i watched seven samurai afterwards mm. and actually the point you made about paths of glory i watched them pretty much back to back rashomon and paths of glory mm. and uh, i sort of felt the connection between them as well in that in the sense you know you get the very early sort of film from those guys but the the, the, thing, the lasting impression i had from rashomon was it was just a very cynical film about humanity and i don't think it portrays any of the characters in it in um, a very decent way you know there's not really a single sympathetic character in the entire uh and yeah you're you're right and i think that is another reason that the japanese public and critics at the time took against it is because yeah Mm. because it is a really but interestingly enough um most american films at that time weren't really very cynical i know you're not a massive fan of high noon i'm a i'm a huge fan of high noon and i think there's some similarities between this and high noon as well in the sense that um you know most people are shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah kind of of the message from both of those films um and yeah no but like i say it's a really really interesting film. i do want to try and get into some 
uh, some more Kurosawa now, and I'm I'm going to try and track down Ran shortly because I've heard that's a sprawling epic, which is probably the complete opposite of Rashomon. But um, yeah, no, I, I I did really enjoy it. Well, I'm just going to jump in there before Steve introduces the next bit because I want to say that just to tie in very neatly with James's point. Sorry to step on your shoes again, Steve, but to tie in with James's point. Um, I also watched an Akira Kurosawa film this week. Uh, it's, it's like we planned it. It's almost like we've done it on purpose, but we haven't. It's just purely coincidence. <laughs> really <you> haven't. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Film 4 recently did an Akira Kurosawa season. Um, over the, I think they started it in February and it went through to some time in March. Um, and they showed uh, quite a few of his films. I think I even pointed it out when they were first mm. showing Yojimbo. And you did indeed yes so uh, i recorded them and watched them as quickly as i could um i know a lot of other people have who i've spoken to on twitter have recorded them but not watched them all yet so i won't i won't talk about all of them i don't think that'd be fair for everyone if i just spent ages rambling about each film but i'm going to pick my favorite one which is the the last the very last one they um showed as part of the season which is ikaru and um the title of ikaru translated from japanese means living and it means it in both terms of literally being alive as well as kind of grasping your opportunities life in life and kind of living it to the fullest, if you like. So the, mm-hmm. the plot is pretty similar to Breaking Bad if Walt was a nice guy rather than an egomaniac. Um, well, perhaps perhaps not that similar, actually. <laughs> but basically, you've, you've got a guy called Kanji Watanabe who is played by an actor called Takeshi, Takeshi Shimura who's appeared in loads of other Kurosawa films, including Rashomon, actually. Um, mm. But in this, um, Kanji is a regular bureaucrat, never missed a day's work in 30 years, uh, just does the same old routine day in, day out, until he finds out that he has stomach cancer and he's given six months to live. And it kind of throws his whole world up in the air. Um, at the same time, his son and daughter-in-law, uh, who he lives with, they're kind of unaware of what's happening to Kanji. And they just start talking about how they would spend Kanji's money uh, and how they would use his pension to just buy themselves a nice house and how Kanji can't really complain because, you know, they're, they're, they're owed that money from him. It's their inheritance. And so, you know, upon overhearing this, he uh, combined with the bad news he's gotten, he decides, OK, he wants to spend his savings, which is like 50,000 yen. He wants to spend it all in one night. So then the film um plots his attempts to, at kind of living wild for one night including he buying himself a nice new hat goes all out buys a new hat and then he meets a young female colleague who he then starts meeting up with quite regularly over the following week and it's her youth and her enthusiasm that that inspires him to try and do something to do anything to kind of give what remains of his life some meaning did, and did, it's just... did, did she did she take a shine to him because of the hat <laughs> it played its part. She didn't notice the hat. It was quite a big deal, I think, because he was such a boring. What kind of hat was it? It was a sporty hat, they said, a very sporty hat. Sporty. But it was just like a regular, you know, what, what you know, the suit hats they used to have in the fifties, like a trilby. Yeah, sporty sort of. sporty hat makes me think of helmet. <laughs> it wasn't a helmet. It's just like a trilby, but a white trilby. Oh, nice. like a panama hat or something yeah yeah i guess so but anyway okay. <laughs> that wasn't a major yeah a bit hung up on that yeah but, um but it's just such a wonderful film 
And the point that you made, James, you can tell even in 1952, when this was released before Seven mm. Samurai and Throne of Blood and Yojimbo, I mean, pretty much all of his most well-known films, except for Rashomon, which, of course, was made two years before. Mm. You can see Akira Kurosawa is an absolute master storyteller. And mm. despite the fact that, you know, they're on the other side of the world and it's over half a century ago that this film was made, it crosses those cultural divides to try and tell the same story, which is just about inspiring people. And you've got to make the most of the time you're given. You know, don't just waste your time away on the planet just working for this faceless company that doesn't care about you. And in fact, there's a there's a joke that's made near the start of the film. Um, and I'll try and tell it, but I'm rubbish at telling jokes. Basically, the first person says, have you ever missed a day off work? And the second person says, no. First person says, is it because you're indispensable? Second person says, no, it's because I don't want the company to realise they can cope without me. And that's kind of just a really mm. subtle but fantastic setup for absolutely everything that follows as part of that. I think it's really clever, actually. It's just kind of worked in very uh, low-key into the beginning of the film, mm. but it's just, it's great. It sets everything up, as I say. And the final moments of the film uh, are just very touching. I don't I don't want to say any more than that, in case it kind of lessens the impact for anyone who, who does watch it. Mm. Um, but the final hour, 45 minutes, an hour of the film, it's a lot different to how I was expecting it to be. And I think it, overall, it's just a great film. Uh, really, really impressed me. And as good as stuff like, you know, Yojimbo and Rand that you've mentioned is and mm. uh, and all those other films that they showed as part of this, the Akira Kurosawa season on film four, I think Ikaru is the best film he made. Um, and if, you know, if I do see it coming up again on film four, it's definitely going to be my recommendation. Brilliant. Oh, let me know, because that sounds really interesting, because kind of, I, I know, yeah, even me and loads of, uh, I'm sure, quite a lot of people out there, find that um kurosawa is synonymous with samurai mm. and it is you know obviously he did make loads of different films i have interest is it because when you started off this sounded quite similar to the synopsis or not necessarily the synopsis but the themes of um tokyo story is it a, is it a similar kind of um, is it a similar kind of film or no a bit different? well I, okay. I suppose sort of they came out about the same time i think tokyo mm. story was 53 1953 it is yeah yeah oh how about that for a look at that yeah. Yeah. yeah 1953 so it came out about the same time um mm. but tokyo story is more about um a family and how old people are kind of treated within within yeah. families and i think you've got um the the kids who are there and it's more about the effect of loss on a, on a family and the, the, but this is more about the kind of central character this is just about yeah. his story and okay what yeah. he does to try and give himself some meaning he's got six months left and he wants to make the most of it and he, he does it in the only way he knows how and it's just it's just a really nicely rounded plot as well it's just everything links together at the end you know you get comedians like Stuart Lee who are very good at doing callbacks you mm. know and then yeah. deconstruct everything. This feels like as it goes along, it's kind of deconstructing itself. And then the further you get into it, there are lots of callbacks to things that were at the start as well. So it's very oh, okay. neatly done and very clever. And I just kind of really loved it. Nice. Okay. Um, only film I've really seen this week is Mike Bassett, England Manager again, which is, which, um, only really leads into the news that the sequel uh, Mike Bassett interim manager has been announced um, obviously Mike Bassett is from 2001 I think 
and um, is about uh, it's, it takes a kind of um, it's a mockumentary essentially um, taking the Mick or parodying uh, what's the name of the Graham Taylor documentary, James? Um, oh, geez, uh, the hardest job. That's the one. The impossible, the impossible job. job. The impossible job. Um, yeah. And it. Do I it, not like that? And it and it and it takes you know Mike Bassett, who's a, a no hope, a lower league manager, to the England job and to the World Cup, and pretty much um, satirizes football and gets it on the head. Didn't I? Don't think it came out to that positive reviews, but I think a lot of people reviewing it and at the time. Um, weren't really football fans i don't think there's many football fans that, that knock it. it it's now regard it's now got that uh prefix cult classic mm, yeah <laughs> but if, if you don't like football you won't get it and you won't find any of it football. No. if you like football you'll you'll yeah, find you'll, you'll, yeah. you'll at least uh you'll, you'll definitely find some yeah. humor in there, um yeah. the the sequel has been announced and it's got the original director on board and the original writers on board uh, and, and, Tom and Tomlinson well. is back because yeah. I think they did a TV program that lasted one series, yeah. but I don't think I saw an episode yeah, of that. It, yeah, I don't think it? I don't think the the writer and director from the film were involved in that. Just no. just Tomlinson. They even replaced ITV One yeah, comedy. They even replaced says everything. Yeah, they even rela- uh, replaced Bradley Ro- Walsh with somebody else to play the assistant yeah. manager. And Bradley Ro- Walsh was brilliant as as a kind of the Phil Neal character. Do you know what I found out about Bradley Walsh? Here you go. This when I was out on my big um my big uh kind of showbiz night out when I was in Glasgow. And this is not going to be libelous or anything like that. Apparently Bradley Walsh is the nicest person in show business. At low everyone I spoke to, oh yeah, I've worked with Bradley Walsh, nicest bloke ever. Some people did then say, yeah, he's not he's not at all funny, but he's yeah, it, in terms of like comedian style, yeah, he's he's nowhere near like being a great comedian but because he's really nice and he's really reliable he is he's never been out of work in his entire career so i've heard the that, that's a lesson <laughs> oh really yeah who from um i think it was on the football 365 forum so you could probably take it with a pinch of salt but someone who said they used to work in theaters and he did panto yeah. and he was the rudest person to every single member of the staff yeah, really put himself above everyone else in the production i oh, see now now what i said was never going to get a pseudo in but God, well, you've got this to. is I've yeah just... it probably bollocks <laughs> if, if you've just seen videos of him like from the chase where they have an embarrassing or funny answer and he just can't oh, stop yeah. laughing it's brilliant uh yeah. so that's Bradley Schmier, i think yeah, the yeah. was that's, that's, that's Bradley Walsh, John Barrowman, and Phil Schofield <laughs> mentioned. We're, we're, we're really kind of we are turning into you know, scaring off all of our non-British mm. listeners right they now. Might have, they, they would have heard of <laughs> they might have heard of Barrowman. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> I won't have heard of Bradley Walsh no. though. One of uh, miss- the UK's finest living comedians. <laughs> They're missing out. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I don't know what to think about the sequel to, to this being released. Mm. I mean. Uh, the, the name I like, because interim manager is already kind of this popular yep. thing from people in football now when they hire an interim manager. And you can almost imagine the idea for a film where when oh you know they saw you know probably Rafa Benitez yeah when Rafa Benitez was in and it was always introduced as interim manager yeah. for an entire season they probably saw that and thought there's a joke there hang on maybe we've yeah. got a film yeah now we just need an hour and a half's worth of four jokes <laughs> but you know. The first one was really good. It's kind of kind of like what I thought about Anchorman. I still haven't seen Anchorman 2. The first one was really good. Second one, is it going to be anywhere near kind of that level? 
But the, with the original people back on board, you've got hope. I mean, they're filming it at the World Cup, I believe. Yes. So it's not going to be yeah. out in time for the World Cup, but maybe if they're filming it at the World Cup, they've got you know some kind of access um, to certain things to kind of make it more realistic and believable. Um, I know that Andy Answer, who is who does, yeah, he's he's involved with it. He's back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and he does. He works for a lot of these companies that kind of. You know, whether it's advertising or it's for film or television, makes the football look believable and generally does a good yeah. job with that. So dream teams and the answer. Yes, Manchester United own and the answer. So, my hope is, uh, do you know what? If they can get, uh, if because Zlatan's going to be out there, isn't he, as a pundit? They can get Zlatan involved. I'm going to the cinema to watch it. They need to get Zlatan very, very heavily involved in this film, and then it will. Then I'm I'm all over it. Just make that's yeah, all just, I want to. Just follow him round for a day. Just follow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And don't even tell him it's in a film. Just film him because yeah. I bet he gets up to all sorts of things. And then just like slot them into the film. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm quietly optimistic about it. Good. But anyway, it's good to be optimistic. Yes. Uh, anyway, that's all for what we've been watching. Um, we'll be back after a quick break with Triple Bill. <laughs> So, Triple Bill this week is uh, best uh, pre-title sequences or scenes in film. Uh, quite a self-explanatory one this time round. Or favourite? They don't. Yeah, yeah. What 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 means the most to you? Yeah. Because my one of mine is definitely not the best. <laughs> yes. Uh, so Owen, why don't you start us off with these? Okay, I'm going to get the first one out of the way because it was so obvious that. Both me and a few other people sort of thought of it as their first one for this. And that's Watchmen. Zack Snyder's 2009, was it 2009 or 2008 film Watchmen based on the Alan Moore graphic novel. And the opening scene starts with a character called The Comedian, uh, played by Jeffrey D. Morgan, who's uh, just watching TV. And then suddenly a mysterious stranger kind of kicks the door in. He acts like he's been expecting it. And then it just goes straight into that that typical Zack Snyder slow-mo then fast and slow motion then fast style <laughs> fight sequences which looks fantastic and mm. then you get the whole like you know they have a bit of a fight the comedian's flung out of the window and as he's falling you get that iconic image of the uh, falling blood-stained yellow smiley-faced badge which is it's so synonymous with with Watchmen mm. and I think that part of it was I was so excited watching that in the cinema because I'm a big fan of the graphic novel. And so to mm-hmm. see it done so well, I was just really pleased with it. And it was one of those moments where I thought, yeah, I am going to like this interpretation. Now. This adaptation is really going to be very good. And it was. I really, I really like the film Watchmen. Yeah. But it's one of those now that everyone kind of thinks about because it's, like I say, it's just such an iconic mm. image. Um, so Watchmen, I'm presuming then that wasn't one nice. of yours then, James. It no. wasn't, but it was it was one that I, I do enjoy. I think it's a great choice. Cool, yeah. I think, like I say, lots of other people kind of immediately thought of it as well. So I've got that one out of the way first. Good. The second one uh, that I'm picking out of my triple bill, is, well, I, I kind of struggled a little bit to think, well, what, what opening scenes that take place before the title mm-hmm. credits roll? Yeah. Do, do I actually remember and which ones of those do I like? Mm. And uh, sort of turned to my wife and I said, so what what do you think? And her first reaction straight away was Jurassic Park. So Jurassic nice. Park on mine. 
Nice. You know, ready the tasers, raise the gate, and then you've got yes. the raptor in the cage. Shooter! Shooter, yeah, the big cry. And then it was just, um, again, one of those moments where I saw, saw it's only 20 years ago now, but it was released yeah. when it was released in cinema. So I was only quite young. But seeing it then at the time, it was just, wow, this is like nothing else that I've seen yeah. or been allowed to watch before you know <laughs> this big dino well you don't even see the dinosaur that's how good it is and it still yeah. grabs your attention straight away it's um just a brilliant scene it was awesome then it's awesome now yeah just i i rewatched it earlier this evening I, I, I set up a pile of about 10 12 dvds and went through a load of opening and jurassic park was one of the ones because spielberg's actually really good at this mm. i had a, a few spielberg ones in there and that was one of the ones which so nearly made my list but yeah no that's great and and it, it just sets up the film as well doesn't it you're like <laughs> shit there's this is done but you don't even meet any of the the major characters in that either you just suddenly like oh my god there's dinosaurs they're they're a bit bloody dangerous what what's going on yeah, yeah. it's just um just so tense as well. It's like just straight into the action and you're straight into yeah. what is going to happen. And yeah, just done so well. Um, and my final choice, um, I feel like I'm rattling through these, but I think with the opening scenes, you haven't really got a lot to say about it because no, you just want to no. tell how it sets everything up and why it's good. So my final choice after rattling through those two is I'm going back to, I haven't, I haven't picked like zombie films for ages, um, but I've gone for Day of the Dead. Because it's, I, I mean, I love Dawn of the Dead. I love the opening sort of raid scene. I love Night of the Living Dead as well. Um, mm-hmm. But it doesn't have a great pre-credits sequence. But Day of the Dead is the best of the three, I think. And it's it's one of the best for any film that I've seen. So if you've not seen it, it starts off with uh, Sarah, played by Laurie Cardill, who is um, sitting against the wall. She's got a head down. And then suddenly the, the sort of brilliant soundtrack from Day of the Dead starts to kick in, starts off quite slowly, sort of building to something. She spies a calendar on the other side of the room, on the wall. Everything's white. She walks over to the wall. You see the date. It's the 31st of October. And then, bam, suddenly arms come flying through the walls. And, it, you know, suddenly she's shot out of this, like, dream that she's in. And you start with them on on the uh, helicopter flying to the sort of abandoned coastal town, which is great anyway. That whole bit, that's when the credits start to roll. But it's just that first moment yeah. with um, all those arms that just shoot through the wall. And it's just fantastic. Proper like jump scare moment. But it's it's brilliant. Again, it just sets everything up perfectly. Um, as well as then stru- going straight from this like enclosed little room, which is itself uh, kind of... Uh, set up for the whole story and how the claustrophobic atmosphere is quite important to the whole of Day of the Dead. But then you go straight into this bright, sunny, uh, open uh, helicopter ride to this little abandoned village that's full of zombies. And it's kind of in juxtaposition to the whole claustrophobic atmosphere. So Mm -hmm. the fact it just jumps from this little room to this big open space and then back to this underground bunker it's perfect. I think that that part of the, the of the day, the day of the dead, is just it's probably one of the best scenes in any zombie film, and I mm. I really like the opening. Wow. Okay, uh, you have rattled through those. <laughs> uh, so on to my three. I don't think you could have done this without having a Bond film in there somewhere. See, I, I've avoided Bond films 
purely because uh, I thought that was the easy option, Steve. That's all I'm going to say. Well, if there's going to be someone who takes an easy option, it's going to be me. I've gone for Goldfinger. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, one of the, the best Bond films. Sure. Uh, the third one made, 64. Uh, Sean Connery, playing James Bond, goes and in, goes in, destroys a drug lab and electric shocks someone to death and then comes out the line shocking and that's about all you need to know about James Bond. If you've never seen James Bond before, <laughs> it, it that's does sum up James Bond in one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no one who's ever seen a Bond film watches that and instantly goes, "I know what James Bond is about." Yeah, yeah. Right. If you haven't seen it before, he's a he's a British spy, secret agent. He destroys a drug lab, electrocutes someone, and then says, "Shocking." Yeah. In, in a, <laughs> like years before Arnie was doing that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. 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 In a much more suave way than Arnie yeah. as well. That is a shock. Yeah. That's how I might have said it. Uh, so yes, that's that's number one. Number two is the, a recent film, Avengers Assemble. Uh, the mm. whole sort of pre-title scene of Loki um, being told to get the Tesseract from the is it Chitari? Yeah. yeah. And then you know, going to Earth, finding the Tesseract, um, turning Selvig and Hawkeye, and blowing up Shield's base and nearly killing. Nick Fury and Maria Hill and escaping, setting up the whole film of what was probably the best superhero film of recent times, even mm, in, yeah. even including um, some of the the Christopher Nolan um, Dark Knight films. I'd, I'd agree. I'd say mm. Avengers Assemble was was better. It was more fun. Yeah, and that's what yeah. I want from a superhero film is fun, and that was fun from the outset. Yeah, and what I like that is about that again, none of the none of the big franchise people in that first bit. Um, no. You're not seeing Iron Man, you're not seeing Captain America. It's it's all about setting up. You're seeing one of the bad guys that you've seen before, yeah. but that's about it. And, and Hiddleston and, um, wasn't really big then either, was he? No, no, no. Avengers made made. Well, I know, he, I know into, he was in. He's a great actor. Yeah, but, I know he yeah. was in Thor. As, as yeah, but, you know. but no, Avengers, Avengers properly kind of put him on a global stage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you got to the bit where all of a sudden the big Avengers assemble bit comes up, and you kind of that's the moment you kind of catch your breath and think, oh my God, the, hang on, did we just fit all of that into about ten minutes? <laughs> I, I trust that they're going to deliver here, and that because that was a huge the, the the pressure on that opening ten minutes was huge because they yeah you know, Marvel had basically bet everything on and you know their entire strategy on that one was film really based mm. on the fact that the Avengers would pull it all together and be a success yeah. even and though the they'd fact... obviously done phase one for every character yeah. before that they were banking on Avengers to kickstart everything which has gone into yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy which has gone into Agents of Shield on TV and then these four different shows they're putting onto Netflix Exactly. If, if Avengers had failed, you wouldn't be seeing half of what you're seeing from Marvel at the moment. No. Um, and and so that's that's the pressure that was on that film with a guy who hadn't really directed big budget cinema ever. So just to pull all of that together, uh, brilliant. No, great choice, Steve. And it was one of those I kind of considered as well. Uh, and the final choice, probably going to annoy you two with this one. <laughs> oh. Going back to, to 1997, possibly even 1977, depending on how old you are. And I'm counting this as, as pre-title sequence. <laughs> oh, Jesus. What? 
Definitely not 1997's one then, because it mentioned tax in it. No, that was that was different. <laughs> that was that was different. That was a, you know, it's Star Wars, and I'm not going on about the the opening. No. Bit. The pre-title bit for me is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. You see, it was 1997 they re-released them, wasn't it? 20 years after, yeah. you know, and then they went and done all oh, the pre. Course, so yeah. 1997 was the re-release. Now I'm sure yeah. they'd been on TV. I can't ever remember seeing. I can't. I can't ever remember seeing them on TV. And I was. What, I'm an old. And what was I? Nine in 1997. No, I was eleven, ten or eleven. What depended on what time of year they came out. I can't remember seeing them on TV. I I knew nothing of Star Wars other than seeing some of my uncle's old figures at my grand's house. I I knew nothing of it, and mm. I went to the cinema to see it. And as soon as that came up at the start, a long time ago in a galaxy far, I knew, I just knew this is going to be bloody brilliant oh, <laughs> love at first from, from that point on I just thought never seen this in a film before it's going to be great I'm, I'm genuinely jealous that your first experience of Star Wars was in a cinema that's the yeah, way it I should be so I, I watched it in the 80s on television yeah I but... might I might well have seen them on TV but I just can't remember watching them on TV mm-hmm. you know prior to that cinema re-release nice so yeah yeah. That, that's nice, Steve. Nice and nostalgic. Yeah. Uh, James, you're well, free, as you specifically asked to go last. Yeah, I asked to go last because I'd hope that one of you two would at least take one of my five off my hands for me. <laughs> and we did, uh, and we and did. That's not happened. So I'm just going to chuck two out there really quickly that didn't make my list, and I've had to rejig it slightly. Um, the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, mm. introducing us to Indiana Jones, fantastic sequence. Um, and the opening to The Matrix as well, which uh, I again watched this evening and thought. Bloody hell, that was yeah, that was something I hadn't seen before. But the ones I've gone for are one which is one of my favourite ever for personal reasons, and two which I think that have to be there for what they did to their genres. Uh, so the first one is my favourite one, which I was having this conversation on Twitter earlier today about guilty pleasures. Um, and I don't like the phrase guilty pleasures at all because if something gives you pleasure, why should I feel guilty about it? And just because this is generally regarded as a bad film. I enjoy it, and I have no shame in admitting it. And this film, I've probably mentioned on here before, is Triple X, starring Vin Diesel. And the opening of Triple X, again, a lot of this is personal, because the opening starts off with the opening bars of a song called Feuer Frei by Rammstein, uh, who are a German... Oh, they're so much more than metal. They're, you know, a German behemoth of music. And... um, so you hear those opening bars and and the camera pans up on Prague's Old Town Square and Prague is my favourite city in the world. So this is I'm predetermined to like this, uh, but it's this great little sequence where this guy swoops in and steals this strange device off of someone and he unzips his jacket and he's clearly meant to be the the representation of james bond the old school and you gotta remember when this was made it was before um daniel craig had turned it into kind of like a hard nose but this was the fancy dan english spy guess what mate there's a new kid in town and his name's Vin Diesel. <laughs> but let's just forget that bit for now because what we're seeing here is this spy gets hold of this and he runs down some alleyways and he uses a fancy little jigger thing to uh, open a door and lock it behind him. It actually looks a bit like a sonic screwdriver. It's a bit, bit Doctor Who, actually. Um, and he ends up in this nightclub. And on stage are Rammstein playing Foyer Fry. So he's ended up in this Prague nightclub. Um, and these heavies are after him. And there's a big kind of 
lank-haired gangster up at the top there who's ordering someone to shoot this James Bond-style character, and he gets into the crowd, and Rammstein are doing their thing, which is strapping flamethrowers to their face while they play guitars, which is the most incredible thing ever. And so they're doing that while James Bond gets shot and falls onto the crowd and the crowd think he's crowd surfing uh and it's great and then someone picks up a thing and then it ends with till linden of ramstein going bang bang cut to credits amazing um so that's the opening of and i know that sounded a little bit like when alan partridge describes the opening of uh, the spy loved me but i don't care um so yeah that's my first choice uh my second choice is going to it's um scream um mm. The, the opening kind of 10 minutes or so of Scream. And what you do get is you do get a flash up. It just says Scream right at the beginning and then goes straight into the film. Um, and this first section is uh, you've got um, Drew Barrymore uh, playing a teenager. <clears throat> uh, but, you know, Drew Barrymore as teenager at home gets a phone call. Uh, wrong number or is it do you like scary movies and then starts quizzing her and then it turns very nasty and it's very much a kind of typical slasher film and you think right okay yeah i'm here watching a res craven slasher film um but then the call on the phone starts talking it starts getting all meta about horror films and there's kind of like a horror film pop trivia thing you think hang on this is a bit different from normal um and then spoiler and i'm I don't want to. This isn't a massive, massive spoiler. Surely Scream's been out for years. So I'm just going to say if you've not seen Scream and you plan to just turn off for the next 30 seconds to a minute. OK, um, yeah. And then Drew Barrymore, who was on the poster and in all the pre-film kind of marketing and everything like that, gets killed in the first 10 minutes. And that was just, that was completely unexpected and what i think is you couldn't get you wouldn't have that happen these days because the internet these things get leaked and preview screenings and things like that i think if screen scream had come out now people would know that that's what happened but certainly when i first watched scream i had no idea and i was really shocked because that was a big star the the biggest name connected with the film gets offed in the first 10 minutes and um and then just cut to uh neve campbell and it's like whoa fuck just happened there um and and i love scream as i think scream is a fantastic horror film and very funny with it and uh possibly better even in my mind than cabin in the woods which i think was more funny than scary screams are genuinely quite scary slasher film so um but just for the way it opened it really introduced the film made you think hang on okay i'm not gonna quite know what's going on here and that's what i really enjoyed about it excellent and then fine so finally yes uh my other which again just spawned imitators uh but spawned a whole new kind of genre in itself is the opening scene from reservoir dogs um you've got all the gangsters dressed in their black suits around a breakfast table and what i love about this scene is it pretty much opens on that there's no music or anything like that and it opens with quentin tarantino giving a speech about madonna's um like a virgin and the actual meaning behind the song and so you're in and again we take these things for granted now but this was the first time anyone had ever kind of made a gangster film with this kind of pop culture referencing quick fire dialogue and so you've got quentin tarantino talking about that you've got harvey keitel um 
doing an impression of his boss going through his address book, going Johnny Wong, Johnny Charlie fucking Chan, and you know, and and then you've also got Steve Buscemi's um, diatribe against compulsory tipping, and this is the smallest violin in the world, and, you know, and you. So there's three great little bits that just chucked into one scene, and by the end of that scene, you pretty much know the character of each of those people around the table there, or at least you think you do. Um, and you know that this isn't going to be an ordinary gangster film. This is going to be a smart film. This is going to be a funny film. This is a film that's going to make you think. And then you get the uh, radio DJ um, announcing the song that he's going to play. And then, bang, Little Green Bag comes in. Wow, what an incredible start to a film. So that that's my number one. See, I, I almost went for Pulp Fiction. Which is another brilliant way. Again, Tarantino yeah. does it so well. Yeah. I was going to say, just in the diner, you know, they're talking about yeah. Bob in the bank and then corner shops and yeah. the liquor store and then the restaurant. And of course, you get the everybody be cool, this is a robbery. Any yeah. of you fucking pigs move and I'll execute yeah. every last motherfucking one of you. I thought it's just a. I prefer- and then again, straight into that now yeah. iconoclastic music. But at the time, that music wasn't famous. Oh, exactly. Famous. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, and that's his skill. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You kind of with Pulp Fiction, I still claim that's his best film. Um, yes. But yeah, it's. I mean, it is close between that and Reservoir Dogs as to which yeah. is the best. Area. And and for me, the I think the the reason I went for Reservoir Dogs it was it was simply the first time he did it, and that was the, that was mm. the first time kind of sat up and went, oh my god, wow, this is going to be different. Um. So yeah, there's there's uh there's my triple bill there. Did we have anything from any of our listeners? Um, not ne- no. Do you know what? Everyone's been ignoring us on Twitter today. I, I genuinely asked a question and no one did. <laughs> but we did have a few. Let me just double check because we did have a few, I believe. Uh, Can on I the just mention one then? That when I was asking yeah. my wife earlier, no. and one that she's she's kind of remembered for for the wrong reasons, I think. Um, but Wolf of Wall Street, with the coke sniffing off a bumhole. That oh was God! <laughs> Kind of, she remembers most, I think. But she didn't no, say that was her favourite. Yeah. yeah. No, no, that that's a really good one, actually. No, I was watching them with um with my wife earlier, and yeah, Jurassic Park was one of her choices, actually. Um, and there was a few I looked back in. No, I can't find any uh, others. There was a few that I looked back in, and they weren't quite as I remembered. Like Drive, mm. and so I put on the beginning of Drive, and actually, there's a bit before the really cool stuff yeah. <laughs> um and saving private ryan actually starts off with old man mm. tom hanks uh cemetery and i was like oh right so it doesn't just start with normandy landing okay um, and a few of them were more felt to me more like credit sequences themselves and so i had to kind of discount those it's funny you should mention that i had the same thing I, I, the, one of the others that sort of immediately came to my mind after watchmen was uh, a history of violence you know the mm. cronenberg film yeah and that opening diner scene but the diner scene isn't the first scene the first scene is Stephen mccatty and uh, the other bloke whose name i forget walking out of the motel and then you get that panning yeah. camera you know that, that follows the profile of the car as they drop yeah. down the road a bit and that's already when the credits are rolling and yeah. it's kind of like oh, well, yeah, nothing happened weird, <laughs> yeah oh the other one that um uh kate said and i kind of had to just throw away because i had too many uh was the opening of the lion king as well oh yeah um, yeah which is just again, it's a song, but it's you know, it's this big epic animation, and that that just sets up that film brilliantly. And then poof, the Lion King comes up, and that's that's also a great one as well. So I've cheated a lot there, and I think I've mentioned six in the end. Sorry, Steve. There you go then. Well done. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, anyway, yeah, so we'll have another break, and then we've got three new releases for you. Uh, our first new release uh, re- this week is uh, Need for Speed, uh, starring Aaron Paul of Breaking Bad fame. Here's a clip. Wait, wait, wait. You're not going anywhere. You need a right Caesar. And Ingram is not going to leave this car in the hands of an ex-con who is about to leave the state and break parole. 44 hours and 59 minutes left. Let's go. So that is a clip of Need for Speed uh, based on the popular video game series. See how cool I was to sound there saying video game. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit disappointed actually at the beginning when the EA symbol came up and it didn't go EA, it's in the game. It's not a, it's oh, not a oh, sports oh, game, so it's not going to do that, is it? There's no game. Know, what is the I game? Uh, driving around like a lunatic. Hmm. So anyway, <laughs> this film, uh, was it just a poor man's Fast and Furious. Let's find out. Uh, yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so basically, the idea is, uh, yeah, Aaron Paul plays this guy who runs a, a, a garage which does up cars, and uh, he's also a street racer, and he accepts a kind of race, and someone dies, and he takes the rap for it. And then everything I read online says about joins a cross-country race, which is nonsense. I keep reading it on all the official stuff. He doesn't join a cross-country race at all. He goes across country to join a race, and that's a very different thing. Yeah, it doesn't so do a cannonball run, then. No, no it's not a cannonball no. run at all. It's not as funny as which, cannonball run. <laughs> no, definitely not as funny as cannonball run. No, it's not um, as good as cannonball run, either. <laughs> no, no, no for, yeah, it's got no Burt Reynolds. For it. It re- it's dying out for a Burt mm. Reynolds. Um yeah, what I will say, I don't actually know much of Aaron Paul because I've not seen Breaking Bad. Um, he's got a weird face. He's got a weird shaped face. It's a bit square. Uh, put me off a little bit. It's a bit, bit. small, uh, isn't it? Kind of, uh, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's not the quite... bits in the middle are all a bit close together. And Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah. Exactly. He always right. looks Dominic quite tall on like, TV interviews, but when you see him in Breaking Bad compared to... Um... And in this, he's quite short. Yeah, he's yeah. quite short. Yeah, it's a, it's a, he's an odd choice, and I, was, I'm assuming he rather fittingly. I think he was on the, the last Top Gear before their special, uh, doing doing little star in a reasonably priced car, and yeah. and come top out of the whole lot of stars in the reasonably priced car. Well, that doesn't surprise me because reading well, about is that film, kind of like a oh, is Owen going to be really silly? Oh, I'm going to be <laughs> say that surely uh, that's they just <laughs> well, no, apparently. <laughs> I was I was reading about the film and apparently every single member of the cast who was going to be driving had um weeks of stunt driving. Yeah, I also training. read there was like no CGI help or anything. It was all actually any everything you saw in the film was actually done. Yeah. So I mean, which is imp- yeah, which is impressive and they deserve some credit for that. They they do deserve some credit for that. It's just a shame it's fitted around a film with a plot that we've seen done a million well, times we've, and we've seen it done at, at least six times no. before in the Fast and Furious. Series. Well, yeah. <laughs> and makes no sense as well at times. There's there's bits of this. Okay, there's this idea 
that there is this rich billionaire guy or you know or at least multi-millionaire who no one in the country knows who he is but he's got a website with his face on <laughs> and he's put together um this big final race where everyone races and i'm not spoiling anything here because you know what loads of cars get smashed up but the whole idea of this last race is that the winner ends up with everyone's cars okay that's the big thing um but everyone's cars are getting smashed to fuck during the race. And I was watching this going, what's the winner actually going to end up with here? His own car. That's a bit shite. Um, that, this guy's played by Michael Keaton, who hams it up brilliantly. And I'm a big fan of Michael Keaton, so I didn't mind seeing him there at all. Um, another person who's in Imogen Poots, big fan of Imogen Poots. She's been doing some really good films recently, but she's also started doing a few crappy American films. And I'm slightly concerned yes, but- that her... But maybe, like, and to draw an analogy to football, which yes. people who don't like football probably hate, it's a bit like Steve Sidball going to Chelsea. He's going to sit on the bench for a few years, but he's going to get a fuckload of money from it. Maybe that's what she's doing. Maybe she's going, this film ain't going to be very good. No one's going to remember me for it. Oh, God, I'm going to get a shitload of money for it. I, I'm just It'll hoping it's... Profile, full... though. I mean, you know, raise a oh, profile, though. Raise a profile, but there's... There is a moment where you raise your profile and then end up... If you raise your profile using crap films... You're, you will only you'll it's the Catherine Heigl situation. But then uh, you'll only end up doing crap films, and then you get paid less and less and less and less and less. And uh, if you the way to the way especially you know for women in Hollywood to to have a long lasting career is to actually make sensible acting choices. Yeah. More than anything else, that's the way you keep going. Because you know what, and I hate to say it. But this is the way Hollywood works. Your looks will fade and you will need to rely on something more than that. That's all I'm going to say on that issue. Um, but, you know, she's decent enough in it. She just plays a kind of random British woman. Um, and so I'm glad they didn't make her do an accent. She's quite kind of endearing. There's there's a bit of chemistry between her and Aaron Paul. It, it's not enough not enough to sustain a two-hour, ten-minute runtime. What the hell? It's just, it's just a film where you really have seen everything before there's nothing new the characters are nothing new the plot's nothing new no and you could you can actually physically identify the bits you can go oh yeah they've seen them do something like that in fast and furious the kind of gang dynamic it doesn't really it doesn't really matter if the acting's not that good or if it is that good in this film it's just it's just a bit boring it's predictable and all been seen before and the acting isn't that good i mean you think at least with aaron paul he's going to be kind of on on par you know on kind of not on par but you know he's he's great in breaking bad but okay but, oh, no no i appreciate him and i've heard people get almost excited about his film just because he's in it because not, they've obviously yeah. been really impressed by breaking bad well, i've not, and that's I've not seen enough. anything else that he's been in other than breaking bad so i don't know if breaking bad kind of a one-off for him he's, he's in that new film isn't he with um pierce brosnan and uh Oh, the the love punch. Yeah, something called? like that. About these four people who go to commit suicide and then form a like yeah. a support group. Yeah. Yeah, that was on in Glasgow, but I didn't get a chance to see that. But I've I've heard reasonably good things about that actually. Yeah, I, do you know what? I I can see why he'd do this film. Although, as was mentioned last week, I can't. Was it you, Aaron, or was it Callum who said that apparently he wasn't going to do it? Then read the script and thought, I've got to do this film. That was me. I think it was, it was my expert oh, journalism because I watched yeah. Graham Norton. And seriously. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if he actually read a script to a different film and got confused. Um, uh, also, the, the other thing, 
if you like cars being smashed about, yeah, I'm sure you'll enjoy this, but you might as well watch Top Gear. I, I, I don't know why you'd spend money to come. And final thing, because it, it's not a good film. It's really not a good film. Um, it's not it's not the worst film in the world. It's proficiently made and things, but it's not a good film. But if anyone ever tries to use IMDb ratings to kind of settle an argument uh, over film, punch them in the face from now on, because... This has got a 7.3 rating on IMDb. And I noticed 300 Rise and Empire has got a 7 plus rating on IMDb at the moment what? as well. And I can only assume that IMDb is now solely populated in terms of voting terms by 13 year old boys. Um, <laughs> I am stunned. Uh, and that's just something. I, yeah, it, it's not great. I, yeah. That, and they not only reference Top Gun in the title, um, but someone keeps insisting on being called Maverick during the film as well. So the fact that it's even referencing Top Gun, and I preferred Top Gun to this, is enough to make me annoyed. So, no. I, honestly, don't bother with it. No, I read um, a, great, a great tweet from um, Robbie Collin, you know, Telegraph mm. uh, yeah. film journalist. He said, um, the need, the, some, a point you made, actually, that the need for speed, the title won't be lost on its audience, because, you know, the ironic title of need for speed when it's two hours 10 minutes what on earth is what is yeah. why is it that length honestly do you know what I, I again i think that's something they saw the fast and furious films did and went well fast and furious films are over two hours so ours has got to be but the fast and furious films have got uh dwayne the rock johnson in and they've got and, a huge fan base already and a huge fan base already exactly and more, they've got more characters and regardless of what you think of the Fast and the Furious films, and I, I, I can understand why some people don't like them. I've got a bit of a soft spot for them. I, I enjoy them. But generally, there's not a lot of kind of downtime in those films. They fill two and a quarter hours with pulling a sh- pulling a massive safe with two cars and stuff like that. You know, they, they yeah, this had loads of downtime and kind of, oh, yeah, it was just a... The, the setup itself took about half an hour to get going, which is criminal in this kind of film mm. uh, it just seems bizarre it put me off watching it actually the length i wouldn't have i, mind. I didn't fancy it anyway because i'm not a fan of fast and furious and i thought it'd be a worse version of that anyway but i thought right. two, hours, <laughs> two hours ten minutes is just too much i just yeah. couldn't could be bothered with it i didn't see it in 3d i saw i i couldn't understand why i would want to watch it in 3d um but it's available in 3d if you're so inclined anyway uh, Owen has seen a new release, and that is Starred Up. Uh, tell us about actually, that. Actually, actually, I have It's haven't. just me, Steve. <laughs> it's just, it's yeah, it's just me. It's just... Owen's not seen anything this week, Nothing. so he's a slacker. Lazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Starred Up um, is the new British uh, film set in a prison. Uh, it's directed by David McKenzie, who di- directed, amongst other things, Hallam Foe from a few years ago. Um, it's actually written by a guy who used to work in the anger management uh, therapy section of a prison so it's got that kind of insider's eye stars jack o'connell who i i found out i didn't even realize he was in 300 rise of an empire he was the son who was trying to fight alongside his dad in 300 rise of an empire kind of very forgettable in that film although he did black up with that skeleton thing at the end Um, but in this film he is incredible he is a 19 year old who is transferred to an adult prison for the first time and it's also the prison where his dad played by ben mendelson uh is based and the there is a, a kind of anger therapist there played by rupert friend 
it's a really really intense film and what i will say is a lot of people have seen the trailer and said it looks terrible it looks like um looks like a plan b video or something like that yeah it don't pay any attention to the trailer this is actually a and someone mentioned kitchen sink drama uh, to me earlier and actually yeah in the kind of truest sense of the word this is a kitchen sink it's about the un- angry young working class men uh, of this country and it's about a young man who is incredibly violent incredibly angry and his issues clearly come from somewhere um it doesn't glamorize prison life at all in fact it makes prison look like an absolute fucking hellhole to be honest uh doesn't glamorize prison life at all but at the same time you recognize the machismo going on there you recognize the different dynamics it relies on a few kind of stereotypical prison movie tropes like a a corrupt assistant governor for example um yeah, uh, a prisoner who's kind of sat at the top and everyone else does his bidding and things like that. So, and narratively, it doesn't play out like the docudrama that it feels like it starts off. It, 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 does, it does feel very much like a docudrama at the beginning. Um, it's, it was filmed inside a recently decommissioned prison. So you, you've got that real intense claustrophobic feeling very a lot of handheld video there a lot of lingering shots and it kind of slowly builds uh, a tone uh, and an environment for you to to immerse yourself in and then about halfway through it just really really starts gnawing away at you it's a real kind of brutal gut punch of a film what i will say is if you were able to sit through 12 years a slave you'll be able to sit through this but it isn't an easy watch. Uh, there is a lot of quite unrestrained violence and there is a lot of bits that will make you angry about people and about systems and about institutions. Um, it's also actually in some places really funny. There's there's some great little lines. There's some lovely chemistry between a lot of the actors. Again, all very, very believable, kind of from the Ken Loach school of filmmaking a little bit, actually. Yeah, David McKenzie himself is a Scottish filmmaker. I believe he's worked with Ken Loach or has, you know, has moved in those circles, at least. Um, so, yeah, brilliant, brilliant film. It's one of my favourite films of the year, actually. Uh, and it's still a film that I'm struggling to process. Uh, but Jack O'Connell in the lead is this wiry, intense, constantly kind of threatening character um full of swagger and vulnerability at the same time um honestly one of the finest performances i've seen this year and this film was uh, nominated for lots of biffers british independent film awards last year and when we were reading through the the films that have been nominated kind of going start up all start up and none of us knew what start up was at the time if i remember correctly I'm pretty sure we're going to start up. Don't know what that is. And now I can I can see why each and every one of those nominations was deserved. Uh, and Ben Mendelsohn actually won a biffer for best supporting actor. So I please, please don't believe the trailer. Go and make your own mind up because it's it's one of the best films I've seen this year. Is it another problem with the trailer kind of misleading people like we see so much? I mean, the trailer at the moment <laughs> seems to be a lot on E4 in between all the awful American sitcoms they show. Yeah, I, I honestly think they're trying to get young people down to the cinema who think that prison thugs are cool. Honestly, and it's a shame 
because although maybe it's not a shame actually because maybe the people who are attracted to the film because of the trailer actually need to go and see the film because so they can realize that prison thugs aren't cool <laughs> i sound so old don't i prison thugs aren't cool kids stay in school um, and just say yes, just say school. no exactly um but actually no it's 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 not a political film, but it's definitely a sociological film. In the, it, you know, it does make you think about um, our place in society and people in, you know, incarcerated people's place in society. So it's definitely a film to make you think. And to round up this bit, James is going to recap Zero Theorem. He Just very, very quickly, because, um, yeah, Zero Theorem came out and I only quickly recapped it at the end of the Glasgow podcast. And so I'll just quickly recap it now because it is in cinemas. It's the new Terry Gilliam film uh, based on a screenplay um, by Pat Rushin. And apparently now Terry Gilliam has come out and said that it's not some part of overarching dystopian sci-fi trilogy. But it's impossible to watch this film and not at least think of Brazil uh, in a lot of instances. Stars Christoph Waltz as a a computer, I don't know if I'd call him a hacker, but a computer processor, basically, um, who works for a company um, run in this bizarre cameo from Matt Damon. Uh, just kind of the cameo itself is almost worth the price of admission just because it's so weird. Um, a bit like Robert and De Niro in Brazil, is it? Pardon? bit like robert de niro in brazil yes that was a bit of a yeah, weird yeah yeah yes character. it was actually yeah. yeah a weird thing for him to be there and yeah that actually yeah that's quite a good um comparison um yeah christoph volt stars as this quite disturbed person who is waiting for a phone call from the management and eventually he gets put onto a project called uh, which is to find out the the answer to the zero theorem which is to prove that all life is meaningless basically and why did anyone even research that it's just um that, that's part that's one of the questions of the film actually is why would you and it's a question he asks at one point why would you want to prove that life that's, is meaningless if that's the, if that's the end game of your research you yeah. do something else. and and do you know what i still can't quite answer why they were doing that or what it's it's not a film that made a huge amount of sense to me it was a very stylish film even though it's made on a tiny budget um it's a film about again the world that terry gilliam has created and some lovely little performances christoph Waltz is uh, a great performance david thewlis is brilliant and it's always good to see david thewlis on our screens um tilda swinton playing this kind of computer uh psychiatrist computer generated psychiatrist she's really really good in it and uh, melanie thierry um is uh, a, a nice charming counterpoint to christoph waltz in it as well but it's I, I can see why people would hate it i could see why people wouldn't get it and i'm not saying that i completely got it at all i just sat there and kind of let it wash over me a little bit and it's a film that i think i want to go back and watch again but it it did remind me a lot of Brazil. Uh, it's not quite as good as Brazil. And when I say that, I know Owen's kind of inwardly grimacing there because I know Owen's not even a big fan of Brazil. So I'm sure that's why he turned down the opportunity to go and watch this for free. I skived um, yeah. I could have gone, Yeah, he couldn't be bothered. <laughs> Terrible. What I will say, though, is I'm really glad that this film... I'm really glad Terry Gilliam is still able to make films. And I think it's important that films like this are still being made and still receiving marketing. Problem is, it's probably going to bomb horribly at the box office. And so the next time someone wants to make a film like this, it's going to be more difficult for them. But at least it did get made in the first place. And I know that doesn't sound like much of a 
a kind of recommendation to go and watch it. Oh, at least it got made. Um, but when you're talking about Terry Gilliam and some of the disasters he's had, not in terms some of the just the amount of films he's tried to make over the years and they've fallen through for one reason or another. I'm kind of I'm just pleased for him that he he got one made quite easily. Um, and it, it's an interesting film, but it's it again it's not really what it's being sold as according to some of the uh, trailers and. I wouldn't be surprised to see walkouts of it because it's just a bit weird. Okay. Uh, so on to some recommendations then for the week ahead. I want to kick off with television. Uh, Sunday has a lot worth watching. If you've staggered home from the pub on Saturday night, technically it's Sunday, 20 past midnight on ITV2 is the Bourne Supremacy. Obviously you need to be au fait with the rest of the Bourne films preceding that one. Um, I can't remember. Or not. I watched it without, without knowing much about them. I thought really? Legacy, well, I've seen the first one, first Bourne film. Yeah. Bourne Legacy. Um, Not Bourne Legacy. The, yeah. I yeah. kind of watched that one without knowing much about oh. the rest of them. So the the only one I'd really seen was the first <laughs> one. I think the others, as you've seen, as I've watched them since, you know, they make yeah. a bit more sense. But I think each one's kind of an its own okay. story anyway. Uh, but don't bother watching Legacy because that's the Jeremy Renner yeah. one, and that's terrible. Mm. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, film four, one o'clock in the afternoon. The original Ice Age. I've still not seen that. Is it any good? It's, yeah, it's good. It's, it's entertaining. You're recommending it, Steve, so it should be right. <laughs> Go ahead, ITV four uh, at five past three. Kelly's Heroes, the ensemble cast World War Two film. <clears throat> uh, a Bond film on ITV one at quarter past four. The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, five o'clock. Uh, film. Uh, uh, Channel five. 20, par, uh, 20 to 6, The Great Escape. <laughs> a weekly recommendation. Just, just, yeah, yeah. That's, oh, no, no, that, no, that's Escape to Victory, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, film, yeah no, film, that's just three months too late. Film 4 at 5 to 7, The Truman Show. Uh, nice. ITV 4 at 9 o'clock, Get Carter. 9 o'clock on uh, Film 4, This Is England. Uh, Owen, what are you putting forward? Uh, a film we've kind of already talked about a little bit on the podcast today, um, and we've said why everyone should watch it already, but it's uh, Avengers Assemble, or also known as Marvel's The Avengers, which has been added to UK Netflix uh, quite recently, I think in the past week or so. Um, so, as we've said, all the reasons should, people should watch it, it's the, probably the best superhero film just fantastic fun even people i've recommended this to who wouldn't normally watch films like this have really enjoyed it so yes avengers assemble on netflix uk uh, uh, james uh yeah i'm going for new out on dvd on uh, monday which is the 24th of march one of my favorite films from last year i know owen was a big fan of it as well and it got some oscars love uh and bafta love as well and that's philomena starring uh dame judy dench and steve coogan um great great film which will make you laugh and then incredibly angry in equal measure mm. okay um so that's all our recommendations um before we go what have we got in store for next week it's our summer preview isn't it yeah, basically, because there's barely anything out that is worth looking at. I, I, seriously, there is. Well, apart from Startup, which uh, I've already reviewed. So we've got we've got no reviews next week. Um, so it's what we've been watching, but then our summer preview. Um, so we'll all be picking three films, but with slightly differing 
criteria this time compared to last time. So it'll be the the blockbuster we're most looking forward to, the kind of under the radar film that a lot a lot of people might not have heard of that you're most looking forward to, and then the film that you think might actually disappoint you this summer. Excellent. Um, and obviously we'll be back with the news quiz, what we've been watching. Uh, so thanks to everyone who's listened uh, and contributed anyway. Uh, we'll uh, join you same time next week. The failed critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics, and on Twitter at at failedcritics.